Hello and welcome to the 250, your weekly podcast looking at the internet movie database's top 250 movies of all time. I'm Darren. I'm Andrew. I'm Marianne. I'm Grace. And this week, because it's the week before Christmas and apparently an annual tradition here, we're going to celebrate Life Day by discussing Star Wars. Excellent. Clapping. Yay! <laughs> Marianne, you can't see Marianne's face. What day is it? <laughs> I'm talking about Life Day. Life Day is the Star Wars holiday special. It's their version of Christmas. Ah. Because apparently the Jedi don't... The Jedi were the first to wage the war on Christmas. And apparently they won. Um, is anyone else instantly weary of talking about it? <laughs> cool, well thank you for inviting me to your nerd podcast. I've, I've never been a part of a fandom that irritates me so much <laughs> so yeah we thought we would invite two people who are very enthusiastic about star we'll wars onto the podcast. About um yeah. dan i feel like i'm here under false pretenses so i need to put this in here right now i'm not a star wars person yeah. i thought this was the lord of the rings podcast. i am <laughs> i am so sorry if something about my persona misled you no um, we, we did we asked grace on because grace is a is a star wars fan and particularly we had her on last year talking about the force awakens uh, which is glimmer in her eye. Which is dearly departed from the list this year. One of the, the many sad departures that will play through our in memorandum at the end of the, the year. Uh, but we asked Marianne on because Marianne is sort of an expert in just geek culture in general and, and sort of No <laughs> reaching <laughs> reaching for the stars like the ones we saw in this movie. <laughs> and um, waged war over apparently. No no pressure now. No. no. <laughs> okay. like bring your I do game. spend a lot of time on Twitter, so if and, you need to know anything that happened on Twitter, I'm I mean like I, I sense a Star Wars may have happened on Twitter mm. at a certain point. But it's worth talking <laughs> That is the sound of <laughs> Grace kind of, not like, being hard agree. It's <laughs> <laughs> like Grace is not not being particularly happy talking about this. So well basically this tradition arose from the fact that Every single Star Wars movie had made the IMDb 250 at one point or another, including the prequels when they were released, um, and that included oh, The Force Awakens, and, and that yeah, and that included uh, Rogue One, which was one of the first new entries that we covered. So we thought what we would do is every year when Disney released a new Star Wars film two weeks before Christmas, we would allocate a slot in our schedule to discuss that Star Wars movie. And Damn you, Solo. <laughs> opening in May? And then the, the one last... About the... Hairdresser. <laughs> and then the last Jedi happened. Um, which threw us for a loop last year. We ended up impromptu discussing The Force Awakens because we'd already invited Grace to the house. We were like, sure, feck it, why not? Um, so we decided we'd make an <laughs> annual... Grace doing like, your man out of Jaws. I'm <laughs> going, why? Why did this happen? <laughs> Um, but uh, so we decided we'd make an annual tradition of it because we got rid of the random number generator we thought it'd be a nice thing to do as well so Star Wars uh, maybe you guys have heard of it before had anyone here seen it before I, I thought a lot of um, uh, the, the the Malcolm Tucker because <laughs> 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 I'm like a non-fan but I, I was even no, talking he's got a tinfoil pal <laughs> and he's <laughs> and everyone's made out of Lego. And he shot his sister. Yeah. <laughs> you want about Star Wars? Yes, Star but Wars. I realize as well that I guess because this is so culturally big, I just know tons about this movie. Like I, w- I was talking to Marianne the other day, and I was saying, um, "Oh, it's like a tauntaun." 
I said, get out of my house. <laughs> what, what, what does that mean? Um, yeah. Um, and and I, I was like, are some... I don't know. <laughs> I'm, I'm hip and cool and with it. Um, it, is, it is worth noting, actually, like we talk about like Star Wars as a cultural phenomenon. Star Wars is one of like the IMDb's uh, sort of favorite movies, as we sort of discussed in terms of its placement on the list. It's currently ranked 22. But this was the first movie, Star Wars A New Hope, the one that we're talking about today, was the first movie that the IMDb recognized as the best movie ever made. So, you know, no pressure. I feel like the 250 is something that was invented so that people could talk about which Star Wars they liked best. Yeah, it was, well, it was just some guy in Stockport whose favourite movie was Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> and then had like 250 um, other, other movies. To fill. Yeah, and it's like, hey friends, you can also vote on my list. <laughs> yeah. um, it was the first 10 that IMDb gave. I actually would believe that IMDb was the, the, first, sort of, the first rating 10 they gave was Star Wars. But I do imagine even now that the Venn diagram of people who really really care about Star Wars and people who vote on the IMDb list is not perhaps a circle but uh it's like if you squinted at a circle yeah just like mm, two circles yeah. yeah that's what happens when yeah. you squint it's, right it's, it's a kind of it's it's a diverse enough li- list with definite biases yeah. Like where where there is there is kind of um a certain amount of kind of um different things covered on the list, but then when uh, as it gets kind of closer to the top, it kind of becomes more focused, and you start yeah. seeing. I mean, you start like Rings. spirited away and. Uh, yeah, bits and, and City of God even. But City of God is still like a macho traditional sort of masculine film and stuff like that. Here's a question. Lord of the Rings isn't, which makes me wonder why it's so high on this list. Uh, it has a very strong cult following though, I think. Like there yeah. are people who are very obsessed yeah. about the They're world. They're the people preventing the Venn diagram from is it, I don't think it's macho people voting on the IMDb That's a fair 250. Point. It's, it's, it, it, it's like male uh, nerds, isn't it? It's the kind of so people. So what you're saying is betas, is it? <laughs> yeah, it's the kind of people. I'm surprised we we haven't voted much. Yeah, yeah. The, the, this is the the small dick power hour. Uh, <laughs> little dick energy hour. Little dick energy hour. And um, but sorry. it's the fellowship that's in the top ten, right? Yeah, or yeah, and that's like before we have a lot of like Sam cradling Frodo on a mountain. Yeah. That's more like lads on having a boat an adventure. Trip. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> lads on a boat trip. It is it's lots of no, lads on a boat trip. It is, but I like Marianne's pitch of it. It's it's kind of like that Adam Sandler movie, right? It's, also, it's, it's, it's also the one with Faramir in it, which is yeah. probably the oh Sean Penn. No Sean, not Sean, Sean Penn. Yeah, but Faramir's personality type, I feel like mirrors probably a certain <laughs> certain. I like the idea of Boromir sitting at home clicking on the rating. He's like you know. 10 out of 10 for Fellowship, but uh, Two Towers didn't have nearly enough Boromir. Hashtag Gondor forever. Uh, but but is, is this the best Lord of the Rings movie? movie. This is best, <laughs> no, that's actually a very valid point. Is this the best Star Wars movie? Like, this is the highest ranked one, I think. Or maybe Empire's higher. Let me just double check. I, I would imagine Empire's higher. Well, Empire's generally regarded as the sort of better of the, of the three. But what about you guys? How would you rank... Your sort of Star Wars, particularly the original trilogy. I think feel like I did. I speak about this last year. I feel like I put um, Rogue One. Uh, Rogue One yeah, was yeah, your yeah. favorite. I, I remember you talking. about Yeah, that. yeah. Empire is at thirteen. I, actually, Empire is higher. And if I were ranking the sequels, Return of the Jedi is my favorite, but this would be second. Empire is actually third on my list out of the three of the original trilogy. Yeah, interesting. Uh, what about yourself, Marianne? Or do you have strong I feelings? I don't know. I mean, the original trilogy all kind of has blurred into one for me. This, this was very... Enjoy- 
What? And the movies tend to repeat the same tricks as well. Yeah. Whereas, like, this one has a Death Star. Yeah. <laughs> what are the odds? The, well, the entire Star Wars, we talked about this, the entire Star Wars economy is Death Star driven. It's like the subprime mortgage crisis, yeah. except it's Death Stars. Yeah. It's like somebody. Yeah, if we could some, only find some other way to employ a bunch of people in the yeah. galaxy, this would not keep happening. Somewhere Steve Carell is in an office on Coruscant, just sort of drawing circles around smaller circles that represent Death Stars. But okay, in terms of, do you guys remember the first time you saw this movie? Because this is kind of, I think yes. this is interesting. I actually do. Ooh. I very rarely kind of remember having seen movies. But I, I, um, I, I guess, I guess we'll go ahead. Um, I remember the first time I saw this. My mum brought me and my brother to see it when it was re-released in cinemas in 1997. And the only thing that's notable about this trip to me is how little an impact the film made on me. Like, <laughs> I genuinely, like, I remember going to see it. I remember not understanding a thing. And I remember coming away thinking, okay, whatever, and moving on with my life. And then it was a few years later when I was in secondary school, because I would have been like nine when I first saw this, um, that I, ha- I was friends with a girl who she and her older sisters are all massive Star Wars fans, like complete nerds. And when I was over at her house one afternoon, one of them was watching Empire, I think. And it was kind of, their enthusiasm was infectious enough to get me to pay more attention. And it was then that I became more interested. But I do find it funny that the first time I saw this, I was just like, meh. And also the fact that that Empire (laughs) was the first time you were invested and is also your least favorite of the three. That's interesting. But I think it's because I was sitting there listening to them talk about like all of the backstory and various things that wasn't really on the screen. And it was more from them sort of filling in the gaps, I think, that I got more interested as opposed to Empire specifically. Those are kind of my... I, I, I know, th- this is bad because it's like people enjoying a thing and, and why not like more power to them but that's like my it's like my least favourite uh, Star Wars f- fan from like talking uh, to but and, like it, I guess it's more fun in a way but like having arguments about where where they're just like oh this isn't in the movie but here's why it makes sense Boba Fett is the best. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. here's why. Yeah. Even though the only thing you see him do in the entire film is get eaten by a sand asshole. I don't know. I was a big fan of the fan theory that Boba Fett was a lesbian. Underneath <laughs> <laughs> that helmet was like these. an incredibly hot butch lesbian just like sweet talking every woman in the galaxy. <laughs> it's very specific, but it's very good. So all stormtroopers are no ways. That's uh, his father. His father. Yeah. Um, but Marianne, what about you? Or her Do you remember father. the first time you saw it? I mean, I couldn't swear to this being the first time I saw it. I'm sure I'd seen like bits of it beforehand. But the first time I actually sat down and watched the original trilogy was like in a dorm room situation in my first year of college. So I was older. I was yeah. like 18 or 19. And it was like involved lot uh, a lot of young men who thought this was very very important, and we watched it on a laptop, and it was the original, and like it was a marathon. oh the non restored cut yeah, yeah yeah yeah, and it was a marathon what like it was like a marathon Not, like, like eight hours yeah or something yeah you know, we were like in kind yeah. of drama like we didn't like, have much going on we had an eight hour marathon today <laughs> yeah in <laughs> fairness if we, that's a fair if point. we include all the recordings that's a fair so, point the listeners might be able to figure out what that marathon was but not I, until january <laughs> um i think this like explains a why they've all kind of like blurred into one movie for me but also like they were not part of my childhood in any meaningful way 
So I was like, that was nice, and but it wasn't like hugely impactful. And then I've seen like I think most of the original trilogy probably a couple of times each since. But yeah, <laughs> like you know, yeah, not hugely impactful for me. This I'd is say a, my first feeling. This is interesting because myself and Andrew, I think we talked about this. We talked about this on I think both of our Star Wars podcasts mm-hmm. so far. So why not revisit it a third time? But this <laughs> idea that like. What makes Star Wars important to an entire generation of people? And I don't mean to generalize about this, but from people I've talked to on the internet, which is like a subset of Star Wars fandom, You're I get all a, super reliable, all super reliable, and all one hundred percent verifiable and completely insane. Uh, yeah, and and completely verifiable and all that sort of stuff. But it seems to me talking to people that like. A large part of why Star Wars is important to people seems to tie back to that question of seeing it at the right age. Mm-hmm. And obviously, like, you have the people who saw it in 1977 with their fathers. Because this is very much a... And I think you mentioned this is dad stuff movie. You know, Star Wars is a <laughs> dad stuff franchise. I think Andrew right. described it. And, like, it's a thing that you've watched with your father. It's interesting that, like, I have memories not of watching this with my father because I skipped... When my dad and my brother went to see this, I was too cool for this. But then a couple of years later, I sort of mellowed a bit and I went to see Empire. What happened? Um, <laughs> I was too cool for this. But then a couple of years what, later, what, 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 <laughs> I would have been ten. At ten, at ten, I was like, that oh, was that? Cool, would you say that was your peak now, cool period? That was probably <laughs> as cool as I ever was when I was like, screw it, old man, get bent. Darren's been cool. Yeah. He is mellow. <laughs> yeah. But I have, I have, I mellowed uh, a year later when they showed, because Empire, because I, it was very clear to me that Star Wars meant a lot to my dad. Um, and it meant a lot for us to, for him to share that with us. Oh, It's supposed to be the other way around. <laughs> what? No. Like, take your dad to see Star Wars. <laughs> you know what's what's funny is that there's no family history of Star Wars love in in my family whatsoever because my dad just isn't really into movies. Full stop. Unless they're generic westerns, and my mom, who loves films, does not like Star Wars at all. So why did she take you? Was she just being nice? Yeah. Aww. Oh, <laughs> she was probably just like, you You kids might like this. Also, we had a VHS tape of, I think it was The Goonies. I want to say it was The Goonies. It was not Goonies. It was a similar film. Um, anyway, whatever the film was, we watched it a lot. And at the start of it, there was a trailer for Star Wars. So we watched the trailer a lot. And maybe from that, Gavin and I were like, uh, can we see this? And mom was like, all right, whatever. Like, this is stupid, by the way. <laughs> I guess this is what having kids <laughs> is about. Yeah. This is really interesting, though, that you say it's dad stuff. Because my dad, it's not that he was, like, emphatically anti-Star Wars, oh. but he's a huge science fiction yeah. nerd. Like, So he's into Star Trek. You, Star Trek always on in my house, which yeah. I also, like, sort of disliked on principle because it was, like, dad <laughs> stuff. But, like, yeah. it would just sort of seeped into my consciousness. But, like... Did you eventually let your father take you to a Star Wars movie because you realized how important it was to him? <laughs> tell me tell me that's not a unique experience, Andrew. <laughs> <laughs> tell me I'm not a condescending asshole to my dad. <laughs> I don't want to tell you on air. Because <laughs> then there'll be a record. Right? Yeah. <laughs> but, like, it, like, it was that, like, my dad had, like, zero interest in Star Wars. For him, he was like, oh, that's just, like, space opera. That's not real science yeah. fiction. I, I you know? This, like, I never drew on. I knew it was something that it was, like, important to some people and that I was supposed to like. And I think, like, my brother and I watched it in, um, kind of, I, I think we talked about it before, but it was, like, a, a, a friend of my mom's in, 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 in her house. I guess her son was a little older than us. And which, which 
which is perfect because it's kind of like people uh, who are in their 40s. I think it means a little bit more to... Which would make um, sense mathematically. Than, yeah. than, 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 than us. Um, but that said, I think had, that... He had seen it. But um, I, I think... Um, yeah, I, I always had that sense, of, uh, that kind of um, sense as well, that what I liked was kind of like ser- serious um, uh, science fiction. But <laughs> like, like, like the... Um, like I love um, the next generation, uh, uh, Star Trek, and um, and uh, some of the movies as well. Mm-hmm. And I, I was really interested to see you've seen them Trek. Now they're ready to go to war. Um, <laughs> and Andy was very, very disappointed because it is. Yeah, yes. none of the characters um, from yeah. Star Trek appeared in any of them. <laughs> yeah. But it, it is worth sort of talking about this just a little bit because Star Wars is a movie that changed. First of all, it changed Hollywood. But, like, in a more specific way, it changed science fiction. There's an argument to be made that, like, the most successful science fiction movie before Star Wars was 2001 A Space Odyssey. And basically that was, like, this huge, vaguely intellectual science fiction movie. Andrew's fallen asleep during it several times. (laughs) But it it basically... still say that it's better than... Star Wars. Yeah. Well, but it's more traditionally science fiction. Star Wars is much more involving than 2001, though. 2001 is very pseudo... It's just no... But... the the thing is though that that's sort All of style and no substance. <laughs> that, that's more like big idea science fiction, allegory science fiction, sort of conceptual science fiction, as opposed that's what to what it wants you to think. Okay, hold on, hold on, Grace. <laughs> I do not want to derail Darren's points. Yeah. We'll talk about two thousand and one another time. Darren's point. <laughs> It's just so it's not you derailing the point, Andrew. No, but the, the, the... Maybe okay, but let, let's, let's yeah. argue that it's accepted as such. Let's not yeah. argue that it is such. Let's argue that it is accepted as such. And I think that's a fair yeah. assumption no, to that's make. Right. Sure. Yeah. The general perception of it is that that is a school of science fiction that you can trace back through Clark, obviously, yeah. Asimov, Bradbury, this idea of science fiction as a form of ideas and concepts. Yeah. And you can perhaps yeah. get some of that in the original Star Trek and, you know, stuff writing by, like, Dave Gerard and stuff yeah. like that. And the issue is that when science fiction sort of died out in America in the late 60s, in that traditional idea-driven form, at least in mass media, obviously you still have books being published, you still had like fanzines and stuff like that, but in its larger form it died out around the time the moon landing happened, when it became clear that we were not actually going to go into space and do anything actually meaningful. It was just like, the moon is there, it's a gigantic rock, it's kind of boring, and maybe we'll go up there once or twice. Um, <laughs> Darren, not that impressed by the moon landing. The moon landing. The moon is very. Like, I don't remember. I've never heard someone be so dismissive. Of I don't the moon remember landing. where I was that day because it was just a bit of rock and it was boring. And I was like, snooze. Okay, but like, what <laughs> is this version of history? After the moon landing, there was nothing though. Like after the moon landing, we realized that Kennedy space... got shot. It was just his head opened up, and it was just like any other head. Um, that's why people, because people were like, "Oh my god, boring." But like, we realized that there was nothing. Like space was just cold and dead and there. I, I feel like, we're like we're like, there's no wonder up there. I feel like the point you're trying to make yeah. is that people innovation. maybe were slightly less idealistic. Yeah, because. Interstellar I mean, travel was not particularly realistic. Yeah, or feasible, and you can tie that. And in. going to the closest interstellar yeah. object was kind of was done. Now. Yeah, it was done. Let's let's not say <laughs> underwhelming. Let's just say it was done. But yeah, the whole and then you, you and now it's just back to regular 
Cold War programming. <laughs> and you, that's it exactly. You get back to the seventies in America, which and are Watergate Vietnam, Watergate, recessions, oil crisis, people queuing at pumps. No fault divorce coming in. Latchkey kids. You have this idea People of America. wishing they could stay on the moon. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm done with this. <laughs> yeah. But... Yeah. I'm done sure, it was a period of general disillusionment. Yeah. But I just... <laughs> it's just... Water like, it so No fault divorce. Like, but you have this idea. Dad's building you, something. Yeah. <laughs> I just love the idea. It's just like, I'm the... Moon was a letdown. Am I right, guys? <laughs> Darren goes out every night, looks up at the moon. I'm on to you. Yeah. I just love the idea that a moon was what a moon. The moon was one more disappointment in a series of disappointments. Well, there were no moon calves on it. Like HG Wells lied to us. You boring <laughs> the moon like the moon was the limit of the new frontier it was the Pacific Ocean but in space it was the point at which American Manifest Destiny reached its logical end point it's all coming <laughs> out now it's like 250 bingo yeah, yeah, but my my point is that ignoring like okay so let's let's just assume that you accept 50% of that as a credible no this is now a moon assassination podcast (laughs) we never even went there Uh, no seriously though like even accepting say 50% of that argument is credible that's no moon (laughs) (laughs) it's a space station but like the argument is that like in the in the 70s like after the 60s people sort of drifted away from science fiction as a genre about big ideas And then what Star Wars did in 1977 was it brought science fiction back, but not as a genre about big ideas. It brought science fiction back as an aesthetic, as a sort of like, as a collection of tropes or a setting in which you could wrap various other genres and ideas. And it became like, and I think you think like you see after this, for example, stuff like you see a lot more space westerns in the style of like Outland, for example. You see like science fiction noir stories like Blade Runner, for example. But even here, you have this is like an adaptation of Akira Kurosawa. It's more kind of while while it's kind of crossing genres, it is very kind of big idea. Yeah, yeah. Although although I think I said that I I I thought the, the 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 sequel actually did a better job of. Um, those ideas. ideas but again you have this idea then of science fiction as a collection of tropes that you wrap around an existing genre because like, I mean this is based on Kurosawa's The Hidden Fortress it uses western tropes it's draped in eastern mysticism mm-hmm. it's almost in a, in a sense I'm high fantasy I'm pulling everything straight out of the Joseph Campbell playbook that's like, it exactly and I, it, I can imagine um, Han Solo played by Toshiro Mifune like scruffy slightly wacky glimmer in his eye that, oh, yeah. compared to Harrison Ford who's just like ugh but I mean, he's I think, the posh spice of this film. <laughs> but I think that I think that this gets to what Andrew was suggesting there in terms of like you preferring Star Wars to it because I I would be I also am not a huge fan of Star Wars. I I appreciate what the films do. I appreciate their culture importance, and I admire that they mean a lot I think to you're people. Quite a fan, though. You you have like uh, a lot of kind of memorabilia in in. In your house, you you you've got a, a posters of the Millennium Falcon. You have a, a Darth. I feel Vader like he's being sarcastic. Uh, well, the Darth Vader oh, cookie jar was a gift. Yes, yeah, that was a gift. So that someone things. thought you'd like. Yeah, and 
<laughs> and they may be listening to this podcast. So you I, did like so it. So I love it. Why would um, you say that was a gift? Like, <laughs> <laughs> um, like, I, I don't want that. I never buy something that's cheesy for myself. No, I definitely buy cheesy stuff. And I'm not <laughs> pretending that I don't. But I, I would always have been more of a Star Trek kid or a Doctor Who kid or, you know, that sort of stuff. Even this, bad Doctor Who. Yeah, Bad Doctor Who is fantastic. But again, like you have this idea of like shifting towards science fiction as like an aesthetic rather than a genre of itself. And I think that's what Andrew was sort of hinting at there when he said that, you know, he sort of prefers more Star Trek or whatever. Well, I think this is what my father, like my father, were he here, would argue that like Star Wars isn't science fiction. Yeah. It's just an aesthetic. Yeah. Which I think is per- I, I would never think of Star Wars yeah. as science fiction. Which I think is like perfectly valid, like to use it as an aesthetic, and I think it works really well as this epic setting. Mm-hmm. But I always find it so funny that I missed out on it so completely <laughs> because like everything in my house was spaceships, but it was more like, but what do the spaceships mean for humanity? As mm. opposed to like, oh, the spaceships are just fighting. Are going to shoot yeah. at each other? It's a good time. It's also like science fiction is uh, is often kind of speculative um, sure. fiction as well, whereas yeah. this uh, painfully isn't. Well, this yeah. is very much a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. Yeah, which is a s- nothing to do with kind of uh, who we are, where we're going. Oh, yeah, yeah, no, this is a very much. Yeah. Are, we, are we ready for a second like Darren manifest destiny rant here? No. I don't. Are we? No, we're not. Okay. I I, no, I think. Yeah, have to upgrade to premium. <laughs> <laughs> like two you guys should get a episode. Patreon. How this rants. movie reflects on Manifest Destiny. But, but I do think it, like Star Wars, like a long, long time ago in a galaxy far away, it sets itself up right from the beginning. Like this is a fairy tale. Like yeah. this is like a sort of classic story that's going to yeah. play on classic yeah. tropes and you don't need to worry about like our ha- wizards yeah, just yeah. have laser swords you as opposed even, to you don't even need swords. a massive amount of world building or texture in these worlds to yeah. appreciate it like I think it, it, for me probably that was part of the appeal of Star Wars compared to what a lot of other stuff was that it takes a recognizably what is recognizably an adventure story essentially and just puts it into space like instead mm-hmm. of setting it in say a land like I don't know somewhere out of the Princess Bride or something like that because it's essentially the same thing just with spaceships and blasters instead of pirates yeah. and cannons. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and as well, it's a it's um, I, I think I've said it uh, on the podcast before. The the thing about it being a fairy tale, it, it's 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 a it's because um, I I kind of suggested that like it's it's a it's a children's movie. It, it's yeah. it's great. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But but that it's 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 kind of like the if um if this was the hidden fortress you you would kind of learn a little bit about the kind of villains in it and where mm-hmm. they're kind of coming from but it's like he was seduced by evil <laughs> <laughs> that's like, about it yeah, yeah 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 so there is evil things and then there are good things uh, make sure you are a good thing but it is like they even to the the point like and like the point someone made about it almost being a high fantasy setting like they can't get away from having a magic system well they call like, them a wizard the they yeah, introduce yeah. obi-wan kenobi as i love the fact that like and we're not we're not to get too specific in spoilers but like you know luke's uncle is like oh you don't want to go near that crazy old wizard yeah and you're like wizard is the word that you use to <laughs> yeah. tell your teenage like adopted son that he should not hang out with that old man yeah wizard Maybe well, it means something different in this galaxy. Jesus. Long ago, far Who are you away. calling scruffy looking? They also <laughs> use like the term sorcery. Somebody yes. says that to Darth Vader at some point. Like it's 
Yeah, high the, the language and stuff is is very much more out of fantasy, I think, yeah. than sci-fi. This is the thing, actually. Is it? And and Grace sort of mentioned like you're not particularly interested in the world building, but I think like is a large. I wasn't. In, sorry to interrupt. I wasn't no. really interested in the world building in the original trilogy. This is something I would argue the prequel trilogy attempted and did well in parts in that it actually attempted to inject some texture and context to this world. I don't think it did it particularly well, the prequel trilogy, I mean. Um, but it's something that's a lot more evident in those films than it is in the originals, I think. I'm think yeah, and I to some extent in the newer films, or at least in The Force Awakens. I want to know what the Empire kind of stand to gain. I from, always want to know from, who's funding them. More like, what planets. Marianne is pumping her fist all of in this the coming from? Like, is there somebody privately bankrolling them? Are they crippling people with taxes? Like, what? Oh, that to be fair, the prequel trilogy tried to explore the complex nature of taxation and systems. I wanted to know more about it. Damn it! <laughs> but, uh, when, when they try to physicalize things, though, in in the um, in the um, kind of prequels. Mm-hmm. Um, Stuff where, where, or even when they try to over explain stuff like the midichlorians in the force, which is like it's like we talked about Jaws 4 remains the great example of this Jaws 4 the Revenge, where it's like the shark from the first movie is back and hunting people down who killed it. And you're like, one problem with that the shark died at the end of Jaws, and the the writer's like, oh, it just came back to life by voodoo. And it's like that that doesn't what they didn't even try and say like it was cloned or something. No, it's just voodoo. Uh, Midichlorians are like that. It's a level of unnecessary complexity that makes it sound nonsense. I think perhaps their mistake there was attempting to bring more of an explanation to the force aspects instead of just building the world around that. Well, I think it's like such a mistake, like a lot of like franchises make that there's a difference in your world building between complexity and texture. Yeah. Yeah. You know, texture is what makes it like good and interesting and realistic whereas like it's like oh like because i read this like in fantasy all the time it's like "Mm, yes this village like specializes in glass blowing don't tell me where they get their stand like don't tell me why it's i don't want to know the economy just like Mm -hmm. give me like something that makes it unique just give me like an alley full of like wind chimes made of glass like that's what makes it exciting not it also just gives you a way of recognizing oh yeah that's the village where this happens like yeah exactly yeah it gives it like some something like that defines it without bogging you down and they're like this is why mm-hmm. what i'm wondering though is like do we think that like a or darren thinks and is going to throw it out to the group and wonder if there's consensus on this um is it worth case- asking the big three question we're gonna get there in a second <laughs> you know? but like is it a sense that star wars sort of like a large part of what makes it successful and largely i suspect what made it successful with the kind of people who vote on lists and who like lists and who like organizing things and who like graphing things and charting things and putting things in orders is a large part of why it resonated with those sorts of people and particularly young men like that down to the fact that lucas made a conscious effort when writing it to suggest a world that existed in a greater amount of detail than the story required. Like, so you have all this extraneous, terrible dialogue, which is, yeah, full of, like, nonsensical references to places that you don't see, people you won't ever meet. But, like, I'm going to go to Toshi Station. And, like, you know now that there are entire novels set at Toshi Station and what happens at Toshi Station. But you have stuff like references to, you know, 
um, the relationship between Han and Greedo and that sort of stuff that can be fleshed all out. All these complete schematics as well. Yeah. Where, <laughs> like, there's this huge kind of uh, structure that's, like, just full of um, all of these little shoots. And uh, yeah, and we have every single one of them mapped and stuff. Yeah. Like, is that a large part of why we think that Star Wars appealed to a particular type of fan and why it built a certain kind of base? Because it had that... First of all, that it had that detail, but also that it invited people to fill that detail in with their own interests and stuff. So you think it was like an invitation for a particip- participation? Yeah. Well, like it would be more, it would be a more interesting question if one of us were were that sort of person. Fair point. Well, I mean, um, I, well, I mean, <laughs> hi. <laughs> so yeah. I Thank have, you, Andrew. <laughs> uh, I like have a huge hard on for like world building and in other franchises can absolutely go down that rabbit hole. I mean, one of my success, most successful online enterprises was a fictional maps blog. Like that's who I am. So, um, were you making the maps or just discussing them? Oh no, I would just post them. So oh. people, to, I haven't updated it in years and people to this day, like email me trying to buy prints. Aww. And I'm just like, I just find them on the internet. I'm so sorry. But like, I have, for example, like read like a history of like the game of Thrones world, Yeah, you know, and sometimes I look at Star Wars and see myself like teetering on a preface of like, I could so easily just plunge into this world mm-hmm. and get so into all that detail. So yeah, I would absolutely say that's a draw. Like yeah. when you create a world that people can just get lost in. Because that's always the thing when you really like something, right? Is that you're just like, I want more and more and more. I want to inhabit this yeah. world. So and, and Star Wars, or this sort of level of detail or reference, allows you to create the world almost yourself that you can live yeah. in. Because you I can mean, imagine what's happening. I think it's station. interesting because from my perspective, as someone who like would have not necessarily gone to the stage where I've done maps or whatever, but like written a lot of fan fiction, read a lot of fan fiction, the thing that draws me to that kind of fandom is if you sense there's something missing and so you're looking for somebody else to add it in, not necessarily that there's loads of detail there for you to play with. Now that's obviously just me and other people may have a different perspective, but I would never have thought of Star Wars in that way as there being so much of a world there that people feel like they want to go into it. Didn't didn't George Lucas announce that kind of like all of that sort of ancillary fiction um, was no longer canonical? Disney had a subcommittee. Yeah. whose job it was to determine the level of conicity of various material. Oh my god. See, if that was for another franchise, I would want that to be my job. <laughs> oh my god, I would love to sit in a room all day and be like, it's not canon! <laughs> the story where Luke swaps bodies with Leia is completely out. The council has spoken. <laughs> Why do you have a gavel? Who came <laughs> gavel? She just brings it to work. <laughs> um, we should we have a sound effect. Um, order, order, order. But they uh, change so many things, like, like the like well, it's very Ch- clear watching Chewbacca dying, like when he runs out on the road and gets hit by a car. They <laughs> <laughs> took that part out; it's no longer canonical. Uh, well, that's that happens with all sorts of franchises and stuff like that. But actually, just before we ask the three questions, it's worth noting that Grace, as part of her study uh, of fan oh, cultures, yes. you conducted a survey of fans, particularly I think with an emphasis on Star Wars. Yes. So basically, this was a project for an audiences module where um, I was looking at the topic of fandom and I wanted to investigate in particular um, changes to fan 
properties over time um, and how people interact with them. So I use Star Wars because the new films had just come out or well, at that time, The Force Awakens and Rogue One had only just come out. Um, and I basically asked people like, if you were already a fan of Star Wars, um, what did you like or not like in the new films? And if you weren't already a fan, but you are now, what is in the new films that you didn't see there before, perhaps? Um, and it was really interesting because people overall were broadly positive about both the older ones and the newer ones. But there was a really interesting trend in that a lot of people who talked about um, the original trilogy would have talked about it as a form of nostalgia that they saw, like it was something they associated really strongly with family members, like we've already talked about. Um, and it was there was only a few people who would have made reference to say things like the themes, like the idea of hope and you know, fighting against an evil empire and all that sort of stuff. Um, the thing that came across most strongly to me was that people just really liked, I think, enjoying it with other people. It was very much kind of a group thing. There was very few people saying, oh, I sat and watched this in my room alone. It was always like, I watched this with my dad or I watched this with my friends and all this sort of stuff. Um, and then the thing that stood out from the newer ones, by contrast with that, was that there was a lot of individuality in the responses and people saying, I saw myself in this character or I saw women represented better. I saw non-white people represented better. I saw hints of like a, a homosexual subtext here and there. And um, I think people really appreciate it as well that some of the newer films, in their opinion, kind of tackle the politics more head on um, or made it a bit more overt. Um, and also a lot of people pointed out that it, seeing themselves represented in that way was really important because they hadn't seen it previously or they had thought that the earlier films were maybe too simplistic in the way they approached things. Um, so, yeah, I found it very striking just to see the level of... I suppose, enthusiasm in the responses because the, there were a couple of people who said they weren't particularly into Star Wars until they saw the newer films and they were just like, I just love the characters. Like I just, there was one response in particular where, and it was a girl, she said like, I just, I love Ray and Finn and Poe in a way that I'd never loved Luke and Leia and Han because they just feel like real people to me. And like, I could see myself in them or I could be friends with them and all that sort of stuff. And it was like, it was really interesting. But I think the overall thing or theme that emerged was that there was a sense of something richer in the newer films or it enriching something that was there previously which you know as we all know is not a view shared by a lot of people on the internet <laughs> but yes <laughs> okay so what we might do is before we talk about the movie in a bit more depth we'll ask the three questions i like that andrew's turned them into the three questions like they're properly codified they i can only remember one of them questions. they probably could but i think it could probably bit... be one question I, I think... <laughs> <laughs> who is your favorite spice girl <laughs> This will be released film? first, by the way, just so we're clear. So oh, out of context remarks. A um, preview of coming attractions. But, uh, so the first question is, do you guys think that this movie belongs on a list of the top 250 movies ever made? So Marianne. I, I think it does. Like, for its cultural impact alone. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would agree. I think um, from my perspective, there's room for the 250 to include because you probably all know how I feel now about subjectivity of films and so on. I don't think it's possible to have an objective canon per se, but there are some films of which this is one which just made such a splash on culture and on filmmaking when they arrived that it would be very remiss not to include them. All right, yourself, Andrew? Yeah, like like it 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 doesn't it doesn't mean it doesn't mean a great deal to me, I suppose. But like, uh, a headless chicken can only look back. Uh, <laughs> Thank you. Um, it cannot know forward. where it's going. It can only know, know where it's where been. Going. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so yeah, thank I don't you, want to thank be you, that Andrew. Chicken. Okay. So um, 
Yeah, I, I would say like like I, I I I'm okay with it being on the list because it means a lot to a lot of people. But oh. it, but it's not. It's never really been right. Okay, so that's sort of like second... your moon landing. Would yeah. you say? <laughs> <laughs> Andrew just arrives on Star Wars. And he's like, this is just a cold, dead world. <laughs> Why did we bother a lot putting of all this? Are like, I'm not really that fussed about when we went to the moon, but that time when Luke Skywalker blew up the Death oh, Star. spoiler. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I guess that answers the question for you, Andrew, which is, would it be on your own personal 250? No. Uh, how about yourself? Uh, I would say it should be on... I'd say it probably could go on the 250. It wouldn't be on my own personal 250. What about yourself, Marianne? I mean, I'll be honest, Aaron. I haven't finished compiling my own personal 250. <laughs> but I... At the moment, I'd say there'd be room for it. Yeah. And Grace? I don't know. Maybe. I'd... Yeah, I, I, I can't even... I don't even know where I'd begin trying to assemble 250 films, but... I feel like if there was a Star Wars film on it, it wouldn't be this one, but yeah. there would be a Star Wars film, maybe more than one. Like the way there is one Harry Potter. <laughs> <laughs> but it's half of a Harry Potter, just yeah. to be yeah. clear. And it's half of a Harry Potter that is the end of a six-year saga. Do you think that was the Harry Potter fandom being like, guys, we have to pick one? Yeah, and just go yeah, for it, just, just commit to it. Yeah, that's fine. Fine. Like, any... I, I reckon it's lasting abilities, because I think that most of them came in as they were going. I think from, um, what's the one that was directed by Alfonso Cuaron with um, Prisoner of Azkaban Prisoner of Azkaban oh, Prisoner of Azkaban yeah. onwards they started coming in and then they dropped out and I think that maybe the Harry Potter fandom realised this was our last hurrah we need to rally around this guy sure the, uh, um, are there any uh, James I know this is kind of off topic <laughs> are there any James, James Bond movies uh, there aren't but Skyfall's made it Casino Royale has made it um, I'm surprised GoldenEye isn't on there. Uh, GoldenEye did make it in the 90s and then dropped off very, very promptly. IMDb existed in the 90s? Yeah. I'm the, also shocked. The first, <laughs> list, the first list was published in April 1996, which Star Wars topped, conveniently enough. Good Lord. Lord. I think I had right. the internet then. I didn't. Anyway. Uh, it was primarily, it was probably like a Usenet group, to be honest, where one guy was like, these are the two. I, heard about I was kind the of into IMDb. the idea of it being like a, like an actual printed handout <laughs> that somebody stuck up in a message board yeah. somewhere going, check this out, you guys. I made a list with 250 I movies out on it. I printed thumbnails. Yeah. I heard about the IMDb 250 and got the internet the next year. Uh, because <laughs> you were so excited. We and have he to saw get his mission no. and he accepted well, it. it has a movie database. <laughs> and on it, there's a list. Yeah. Finally, before we jump into the spoiler zone, if, and this is a completely irrelevant and pointless question for the movie that we are discussing, but let's do it anyway because we like being pro forma. If <laughs> we, I. <laughs> yeah, by, by we, I'm using the royal we. We were also disappointed with the moon landing, apparently. <laughs> but if the people who are disappointed with the moon landing and have not yet seen the original Star Wars, somehow... Would you recommend that they pause this podcast, run out, watch the watch Star Wars, come back and listen to the rest of the podcast? Andrew. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I would, I would, I would say watch this. It, it, I mean, it, look, it, it, it looks great, and and a lot of things will make a lot more sense to you in, <laughs> in culture <laughs> in general <laughs> once you've seen Star Wars. Yeah, and and probably watch the 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 uh, four, five, and six. <laughs> yeah. um, I, I, I like what like people. What is in what is a nineteen seventies went to see the movie? It's like um, well, the famously a new Star hope Wars wasn't four. four. A new hope. <laughs> so famously a new hope wasn't. Uh, 
uh, no, 4 it originally. No, Star Wars. It was just Star Wars. And then after they did... Um, before that, it was Blue Harvest, wasn't it? Uh, well, it was The Star Wars. It was called Blue Harvest while they were shooting. Yeah. Um, oh. But it was originally described as The Star Wars. It was going... Well, okay, we'll talk about this a little bit later on. But Marianne... It's like Facebook. <laughs> yeah, drop the the. Uh, but Marianne, would you say people should... Paul's run out and watch this if they Yeah, haven't. I'd be so surprised if someone had gotten this far into the podcast and was like, you know what? I'm not going to watch it. Just Fire away, boys. Uh, so yeah, maybe maybe do go watch it. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I would say definitely watch it because, you know, the rest of the podcast will make a lot more sense if you've seen it. And, and also, life in general. <laughs> yeah, like it's, it's helpful to have absorbed these things, I think. Yeah. Or at least watch them. Maybe not necessarily absorb them. But like, I, I guess like make time to meditate spend time in nature but if you have time to watch movies this may not be the worst one to watch um alright so join us on the other side of the spoiler zone <laughs> Can we segue into like a TIE fighter sound? <laughs> so <laughs> disappointed no one joined me. <laughs> we couldn't we couldn't derail greatness. Yeah. yeah. So an awful red. Grace, what is yes. Star Wars about for you? Um, I think Star Wars is a very simple, nice, old fashioned story <laughs> about good versus evil and people and, and you know, destiny and discovering your inner power and harvesting it and all that sort of jazz a blue harvest if you will yes if you will i did not think that you were i did not think ahead <laughs> when i made reference to harvesting. Moisture harvest. um no i i think it's um <laughs> you know moist is the most disgusting word in the english language i love the idea that somewhere in the star wars universe they're harvesting it it's like Moisture. this will make people so uncomfortable moist ew yeah, sorry. Um, yeah, no, I, I think for me anyway, that's what it is. Just a very sort of simple story about, um, well, I suppose it has that sort of like savior trope in it too, but that forms part of it. But in terms of, so Marianne, what about yourself? How would you like, what is Star Wars about for you having watched it on a laptop in a dorm? For me, Star Wars is about a collection of small robots and aliens who speak in gibberish and are adorable and just bring me so much joy i mean this is like really i mean you know one of my big experiences originally watching the lord of the rings movies was i missed my chance to be an orc extra like i would have been so Flown good at to it. new zealand and yeah, I'm, I would have been a Hobbit extra. Um, Probably a Hobbit child. You too. know that they had to remove the feet from the Hobbit extras and destroy them at the end of every day for fear of people selling them online. Oh, believe what? me, I know. Yeah. <laughs> um, so the lads, I'm going to get their name wrong. Uh, people are going to tweet at me. It's going to be awful. Uh, the Jowls. Jowls. The Jowls. I born to be a Jawa. Like, <laughs> have no skills expect, except, like, my glowing eyes and speaking gibberish, you we, know? We should do some things We should mention that Andrew also got a little bit excited when the Jawas appeared on screen because they represent the classic 250 trope of homicidal children. Um, and, and children who take <laughs> well, great joy. The QBs of their world. Yeah, or the uh, little Zs, um, <laughs> little dice of yeah, are the they, Star Wars. Are they universe. homicidal, though? They're, they're more like... 
like they're scavengers. Yeah, they're more like little rascals. It's those <laughs> sand people that you yeah. want to keep an eye out for. Yeah, they're the homicidal people. ones. Like we will Mad Max levels. Of, yeah, the Jawas you know, were insanity. just stealing things and reselling them. Like they're just yeah. trying to make a buck. The sand people are easily startled. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> I love, love that image of Obi Wan just come back. And it's like the, it's amazing to think that like for all that Obi Wan appears in six Star Wars films and is one of the most iconic characters in pop culture, he's introduced pulling the hood over his head, waving his <laughs> his arms around, and making funny noises in order to startle a bunch of uh, like yeah. But yeah, no, I can't tell you how important all the little creatures are to me. The little cleaning robot. Oh, the I little lad. He was your favourite character. He's my favourite character. This is the one I who just... rolls up to Chewbacca and is yeah. like, nope. I also... Don't think about the fact he blew up with the rest of the Death Star. That's sad. Okay, but in fairness, he like was complicit in their regime. He like... was just cleaning. <laughs> he, but you know, like... Every regime is built on people just cleaning. Um, this is... Are we going to talk? We're going to talk about the droids. Um, I mean, I also love Chewbacca. But he's, like, I don't relate to him as hard because he's very tall. But he's hairy and he screams a lot. And I'm just like, <laughs> you know, I relate. <laughs> so. It's worth, sorry, so it's worth going back to the droids. Because the droids, you know, whatever about the argument that they're the real heroes of the franchise or whatever. Interesting thing about the droids. What is, are you saying at that point? <laughs> Who's making that argument? <laughs> um, it's been, like, that's one of those big, like, ring cycle, the prequels matter sort of okay. arguments and stuff like that. But the thing about the droids is that. And it's been argued, and I kind of I, ha- I haven't read enough on it to be an authority on it, but I find it's an interesting argument to cite. Is that Lucas arguably empathizes more with the droids than with any other characters in the film, to the point where the original draft of the first version of Star Wars spent thirty minutes with C three PO and R two D two before any of the human characters of import, except maybe Vader, appeared. Uh, and that's sort of very revealing, I think, in a sense. Mm-hmm. But it's also interesting. I mean, yeah, a lot of people saw Solo and they were like, okay, do you know what? <laughs> Actually, the droids are slaves. It's like, have you seen Any? Star Wars? Yeah. Star- I mean, <laughs> that was very much a response yeah. to people watching Star Wars. Because like, people have been saying that droids are slaves for it's decades. It's very much established. They have a slave auction. Yeah. yeah. And a little, like, bolt and collar to keep yeah. them in line. It's so weird, though. For me in Solo, it was so weird they introduced that as kind of a side plot. And then they're and just like, goodbye. Kind of a comedic thing as well. Yeah, it was very strange. And obviously it's, like, in the past. So it's just like, so nothing came of that. Yeah. Um, it's... It's very. Solo suddenly seems incredibly bittersweet. Now this is so. Like one of the things that I solo. I know Grace really likes Solo, and I don't hate Solo to be clear. (laughs) Uh, But Solo, there are two opinions. (laughs) Yeah. No, no. I I know you really, really enjoy it. Um, I will. I like. I preface all my discussion of Solo though by saying that I had been burned hard by Star Wars not six months before Solo came out. So anything that was halfway decent and recognizably a part of the Star Wars universe was likely to get an enthusiastic reception which how, how did I construct a more sort of like that's, proactive defense of that's Solo that's where you got your name so, so you're alone in liking this movie <laughs> Solo Solo uh, sorry. Uh, yeah. but the the, um, the thing about it is that it's, it's, know, a, it's no, a perfectly it, lots of people like and it, it right? it's I don't know I think a lot of people were just like meh it's I think people were surprised adequate. it was Competent. adequate considering the kerfuffle that went on behind, behind the, the scenes, scenes. Except, like can you even say behind shot. the scenes when it's common knowledge yeah, what that's happened fair. during so. the scenes in the scenes yeah. but one of the things about Solo which I find interesting is it's the most safe most banal most middle of the road least challenging Star Wars film that has been produced yeah. by Disney since they bought Lucasfilm and in the middle of that 
like smack bang in the middle of that, they say, oh, by the way, you know Luke Skywalker, the guy you love? Big guy, you got really upset about how he was treating The Last Jedi, feel like he betrayed his principles. That guy? He owns slaves. Just so we're clear on this. And I, I feel of- like that there's a lot of people who bum Luke who are probably just like, who hasn't? <laughs> who hasn't? Yeah. This is a fair point. Is that that big of a deal? Yeah. A lot this- of people with a lot of nostalgia for <laughs> things st- that aren't Star Wars. <laughs> 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 to go back Very to that smart. Venn diagram overlap. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I remember, I, I rewatched Fast and Furious recently, which was made in 1999, and yes. they, have, they have a race in the middle of the desert that's called Race War. And I'm like, God, the 90s were a more innocent time in some respects. But the, the thing they that's... brought it back in, like, the, was it the in the fifth? Maybe? Did they bring it the back? The fourth one. There's oh, racing the in the desert. One. But they're yeah, also I don't using... Think, do they call it race war? They're it's using secret tunnels to travel between the US and Mexico. Ooh. Oh, that's so, the fourth one. That's the fourth yeah, one. Yeah. But, I think it's maybe the sixth one I'm thinking of. When, uh, what's her name, comes back. Is it Michelle Wood? Rodriguez? I yes, guess. remember she's killed, she's killed off, and it turns out she has amnesia. Yeah, yeah. she's brought when back. When she comes back, li- they're like, "Remember race wars? You can't have forgotten this." <laughs> <laughs> and she's like, "Wait, what?" <laughs> but here's the thing about the, the like the droid slaves is that it's it, Yandri's right. It is very clear from the outset watching Star Wars. In particular, I think we were joking as we were watching the scene where like Luke is about to go off to fight the Death Star against all odds, and he's like, "Are you still with me, or two?" And <laughs> Ortu probably grumbling like meh. Ortu's beeping, but you can hear him thinking, "Do I really have a choice in the matter?" Yeah. yeah, like as he's being like craned <laughs> up into the thing. Yeah. Yeah. There's even a guy uh, to hand who's like, "Hey, I think that droid's been through enough." Yeah. <laughs> he's like, we can get no, your advice. I wouldn't dream of going anywhere yeah. without. Like, yeah. And then there's hilarious bit later on. Yeah, yeah. When they get back Start from later, the battle. Uh, yeah. You please, Andrew, describe yeah. it. I want to sure. hear it again. Uh, uh, Darth Vader blasts uh, C-3PO's head off and and, um, and they, yeah they, Wait, they return the at the or rebel base or to D2 yeah, yeah, so, yeah. oh right okay, I was like cool. what? what did I say? You said C-3PO did I? Yeah. oh I, I beg your pardon uh, C-3PO <laughs> don't add um, I said it again or to D2 uh, pedal bin um, <laughs> not, not the tinfoil bow um, um yeah, and yeah, they arrive back at the pedal base, and there's like a moment where it's like, oh, it's, they lower down R two D two, and it's completely black, covered in scratches, barely lighting up. And uh, you know, one of the guys like, oh, don't worry, we'll we'll get him fixed up yeah. for you. And Luke and Han and Leia go right back to this is awesome and amazing. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, exactly. I think one of them's oh. like he'll be fine, like while they're turning away. Yeah. yeah. And and completely ignores like poor three PO is really heartfelt like oh god can I donate anything to help like, yeah, he's completely the, torn up and they're just like be grand there's a moment off. earlier in the film where R two D two makes a run for it in the desert sure. and Luke tracks him down and C three PO is like please don't shoot him in the head yeah. um, and it's like Jesus can you imagine being a droid in this world yeah it's um. Like, fascinating as well that, like, the first, like, there's a very long sequence at the start of the movie where there's barely any dialogue. Anybody, yeah. Any, it's just, like... C-3PO and R2-D2 and, and, But, like, there's a lot of, like, just R2-D2 by himself, like, beeping... And the what are they called? The Jawas? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And like, and trying like, to bring them back to the south. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god! But like the whole sequence a lot of have a on this on this like traumatizing 
transport with like Wally and everyone. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like, yeah. And everyone's in bits. It's everyone's like they get in on bits. And, and so like, then this is just like body parts. Yeah. Everywhere. And it's just like there's like robots like rocking back and forth. <laughs> like they have PTSD and. And there's no dialogue, and you're like, this yeah. is really intense. This is very yeah. intense, you know. Yeah, and, and that it, that other droid that like Luke and his uncle were going to buy before they get or two, it's like he self destructs. He just, <laughs> he's just, he had just enough. like kills himself but so like, that he doesn't have to continue serving anyone. But like, is it like? I mean, I don't really know much about <laughs> Star Wars, but like, is it like canonical that they are sentient? Or is it? Is, or could I, you argue that this is just like very intelligent programming? I don't know, but it seems really sadistic to program in. Like this is the thing where maybe if they're even if they're not self-aware, they're programmed in a way to react to you to make you think that they're yeah. self-aware. So it's like somebody programmed it to scream as you tear it apart, and you're like, why would you do that? Have <laughs> you heard about they did an? Exp- I don't know any of the details of this, so this is going to be just like I just saw this on the internet somewhere. But apparently, in some lab, they like programmed this robot to like scream if you tortured it and people loved torturing it and what? it made them more likely to torture it to see how much of a reaction they could get out of it it's I, like that prison experiment where like they oh made, the Stanford prison yeah, yeah. Milgram isn't it yeah there's Milgram but it, yeah, it's where it, they basically proved that people thought they could get away with it they would totally torture other people I mean there is like, there is a replication crisis that should yeah. be pointed out in that and that there are arguments that Milgram didn't necessarily follow all the steps but yeah that sort of experiment is terrifying anyway I can't remember I heard this on a podcast but probably. like torturing <laughs> robots making them scream to respond because this is the thing like even if they don't pass the touring test the scream sounds like like if, if, if it's if funny I'm torturing something and it sounded like R2-D2 getting shot at like ah I love that Andrew's like I'd be like just pass me the rod please yeah. but I think it's like I was just about to go into a story about torturing Furbies but I guess that's not um, um, okay. um no, not me but like um, this podcast just, is getting really dark. dark what I was gonna say is that this is like why Star Wars is not science fiction yeah. Because as soon as you try to probe the question yeah. of like, are these robots sentient? It just falls apart. Yeah. And like yeah. that, like it spoils it. Yeah. So it's easier not to go there, which is why it's weird that they went there in Solo. Yeah. You know, there's a way, oh my God, I think I could like now just like, you're like, oh, Marianne's an expert in geek culture. And I'm like, I'm not, but I am going to cross-reference Pokemon. So, um, so in like. And you wondered why we invited you in on. Pokemon Black and White, I can't remember where it is in the game series, but it's like quite far on. The antagonist is this guy who's like, we need to like free all the Pokemon. Pokemon are slaves. But also like, I'm going to battle you with Pokemon because there's no mechanic in this game where I can just like shoot you in the head. And this is like the only way we can like resolve conflict. So it makes no sense. And then at the end, I think it's just like, oh, actually he just had daddy issues and that's not really what he believed. Anyway, it's so weird because that's obviously one of the main criticisms of the franchise. Yeah. It's like, are these Pokemon having a nice time? And they're like, we're well, going to... That was the Peter criticism but, of yeah, Pokemon. but it's like, we're going to put this question on the table. Just leave it there. And not answer. Just yeah. not resolve it. What's yeah. interesting? I feel like that probably... The, the really, like, dark, cynical part of me is like, well, if you start to think about, like, things around us that... Um, have a level of self-awareness and can feel pain that we routinely torture and take for granted. There's like animals everywhere. 
that like suffer because of us constantly and if people are forced to think about that for too long i think it makes them uncomfortable let the record show that grace looked around the room in a way that makes me slightly uncomfortable <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's the thing darren Dar- Dar- eats meat but it's un- uncomfortable with um, i prefer uh, somebody else torture my meat thank yeah. you very much but I, i'm 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 a, 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 a carnivore and would prefer if i were closer to the the killing the, the animal suffering because I think that would connect I think we'd eat much less mm. meat if if, oh, if yeah. that were the kind of reality of it but also I, I think I'm able to kind of like I don't want there to be a separation between between, between, yeah. between me and the the, the mm-hmm. kind of like I I I feel I feel like if if, if um, I would be able to um, to on a um, Farm, yeah. Make that kind of act uh, yeah. to kill to kill a chicken or to to or to. I mean, and I, and I think that like, yeah. Sorry, <laughs> I'm a vegetarian and I would 100% murder a cow. Like if n- out of necessity, <laughs> not just not, not just like randomly. It's a taste for it. It's like the one got to murder something, right? <laughs> it's that rich, rich old cow that lives upstairs. <laughs> Jeez, no, no one. I would no murder one, a cow for its jewels. No one, yeah, nobody. <laughs> She doesn't care about anyone. I I wouldn't murder a cow for food, but I would for pleasure. But you know what? But I actually completely agree with Andrew. Is that like, if you're going to eat meat, do it. Like, get involved in the process, you know? I I like delegation. (laughs) I like having specific roles. It's like, there are people who kill my meat for me, and I I record podcasts that they can listen to. Ever. I would never kill an animal. I or could have probably it suffer. I could probably, by my yeah, by my own animal. <laughs> this is all about me. But let's let's talk a little bit about this because this is interesting. Because it gets back to one of the things about Luke, which I thought a lot about. And this is one of the things where, you, if you think too hard about Star Wars, it doesn't work at all. <laughs> like the Last Jedi, and we're only going to mention this briefly, was usually controversial among Star Wars fans in large part because they saw it as assassinating the character of Luke Skywalker. However. What? Didn't hear anything about no, that. No, no, no. <laughs> the internet was perfectly no. quiet. Handled it with grace and dignity and sort of respect. But one of the things that's interesting about it is that, like, I always saw Luke Skywalker as a bit of a jerk and a bit of a not nice person. Even outside of the whole, like, keeping droids as slaves thing. Because, like, it's very clear early on that he doesn't really hey. believe... Like, he doesn't genuinely... Don't call me sir, slave. <laughs> yeah, call me Luke, slave. <laughs> yeah. You will do what I tell you to do, slave. But yeah, um, oh, don't worry. We're going to track him down. You've seen Django Unchained, right? Um, but yeah, there is, there's something about like the way that Luke doesn't want to fight the Empire because the Empire is wrong. He doesn't want to fight the Empire because the Empire is evil and because it needs to be overthrown because people deserve to be free from tyranny. Luke just wants to get the hell out of the farm where he's working. He wants to get away from like the responsibilities of being an adult and doing his job oh, to make sure... Not, I, I really adult. think that's a bit harsh. Luke is meant to be a young lad who has never left the town he grew up in and he just wants to go off and have a bit of crack. Oh, in fairness. This is this is getting back to our Mr. Smith. Sorry, no, no, Dar- Mr. Smith. Dar- um, Darren is like, the worst thing you could ever do is disappoint your parents. Yeah. <laughs> like, how dare you want to move out of the family home and like go and see the world 
woods and maybe like hang out with your friends occasionally instead of having to get up early and constantly harvest moisture. Like in terms of an adult either. But in terms of he's like, I want to go and live my own life. It's like uh, next year. He's like, oh man, yeah. But but that's the point. Like, I mean, he's he's very explicitly characterized as a bit of a whiny teenager. I don't think the idea of like the wider morals of of his life choices has really entered his brain. He's definitely like fifteen. But like um, this, this and is he the, wants to go off to boarding school. Yeah. But this is this is the thing where it's like, and again, this is like we're, it'll be Christmas next week. A couple of Christmases ago, we discussed it's a wonderful life, where I had the exact same attitude to the lead character there, where it was like, look, dude, if you want to travel the world, do it. Don't mope about it, and certainly don't stay because you've got an obligation and make people feel bad about it. Like this is the thing, Luke just wants to get the hell out of there and would happily become a Thai pilot fighter if it got him away from, like, clearing the moisture farms every once in a while. But is, like, isn't that something that's, like, actually understandable in a real-life context? Like, people join the army to get out of their dead-end lives. And I'm not... I don't think everyone who joins the army necessarily is a hard-on for the military-industrial complex or shooting people in the face, but they see it as a means to an end. Which, you know, maybe you can argue with the morals of that and so on, but I also think it's, you have to recognize the wider context people live in. Sometimes their choices are not particularly oh, yeah, no, no, expensive. No, no. Like, I mean, I'm, I'm being clear here. Like, I understand entirely that this is Luke's character and this is what defines him. I just find it interesting that so much of Luke's, so much of the Star Wars fandom and so much of, like, pop culture in general thinks of Luke as this archetypal hero. Like but he grows into figure. that later yeah. on. Like, I mean, he very explicitly confronts Han later and is like, how can you turn your back on this fight? Well, we're going to talk about... Let's, let's uh, talk about I, I that. Just, I think and you're being a we, little harsh on sure? Luke at the beginning. Also, does he not have a kind of formative moment where he's like, oh, the Empire killed my adoptive <laughs> oh, yeah. parents. Yeah, and like, like incinerated them. Charred bodies. I don't remember that from the first... Oh, no, it wasn't yeah. there the first time. But like, we're going to... Like, again, this is a whole host of stuff we'll talk about a little like, bit at a time. Um, but Star um, Wars is arguably the story of a young man who is radicalized and joins a terrorist organization as a result of a failed drone strike on his home. And then, like, the, f- the fact that he might have joined the Empire for, like, people join armies not not just to, 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 to go off and kill people. He could have been uh, wanting to join a peacekeeping mission for the, the Empire, Empire. <laughs> having, like, Kashyyyk. Where yeah. yeah, and it doesn't come up much in the films, but it's no. like, they, they provide a vital stabilizing force on that, like, very... Yeah. But to get back to like the, the sort of question of like Luke and complicity and stuff like that, because yeah, Luke is Who's complicity. <laughs> but like, this is the thing. The but then, are George... you implying that every single person in the Star Wars universe who is an actively a member of the Rebel Alliance is complicit in a terrible regime? Because that's kind of what you're saying, no, that... <laughs> and that's a little and harsh. They're... Okay, well, first of all, they're all actively complicit. Why aren't in all a... of us in like the UN peacekeeping forces so. right now? <laughs> they're also complicit in a system of slavery, as we've discussed already. But this is this is the thing about the whole thing involving like this. I don't mind. Whereas you, 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 you wouldn't be complicit. Oh, I absolutely in... would be complicit, but you shouldn't. You're not base... like complicit <laughs> in like the slaughter no, I, and destruction I, I, of the animal kingdom or anything in the like that. System, but I'm not saying George Lucas would construct an epic hero's journey around Darren going. Well, I'd really like to shoot some <laughs> stuff. Eat meat. Yeah, anymore. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I like to eat lots of meat. 
then maybe I'd like to eat no meat. But as long as it means that I didn't have to eat, I don't know, nuts. Um, but I mean... If you came home one day and discovered my parents and your parents being barbecued, I'll never eat meat again. Yeah, it shouldn't have taken that much to get to here, but here we are. But this this is the apparently Lucas originally conceived Star Wars as a Vietnam movie. He wanted to make a movie that he would have called Apocalypse Now, but his old friend and mentor Francis Ford Coppola got on got there first, got the rights, started working on a script. Lucas wanted to do a documentary about Vietnam, and he's argued that his first three films, including uh, THX, 1138, um, American Graffiti, and this are in some way a thematic trilogy about Vietnam. In that, you know, 1138 is about, like, the aftermath, and this is a, American Graffiti is about, like, the innocence of the 60s going into it, and this is the story of Vietnam. It's the story of a strong, imperialist, hyper-advanced, technologically driven society that wages war on a bunch of rebels who are just fighting for freedom because they've watched their families burned alive as a result of this evil imperialist power, which is kind of interesting, I think, when you think about like Star Wars as one of the iconic American narratives, as one of the formative American myths, that it's actually, you could argue, if you look at it and how Lucas intended it, was originally a Vietnam movie about how heroic the Viet Cong were. I mean, did he actually intend it to be that way, though? Well, I mean, he well, he, he very much was working on a Vietnam movie before Coppola got there. And he has categorized in 1975, I think, when he pitched it. He described it as a plucky band of revolutionaries uh, on backwater worlds fighting against a technologically advanced empire expanding its influences. Which, you know, is could be read as a Vietnam movie. Oh, so- so this this the oh, oh right right so this isn't something that he's... he has said he said this in 1997 he explicitly came out and confirmed it he didn't talk about it beforehand but ah. there, there are notes and documents which would support his argument that he intended it as a Vietnam allegory right. even if he never put it but he down. has since said he has since in 1997 when he's re-releasing the films Oh. Um, and in particular, after he did the prequels, <laughs> I guess that actually makes some sense because it's probably okay for him to say it at that in point. 1997. Well, that's it because yeah, everybody that... would go to his movie. Yeah, if he, <laughs> if he was like, "This is about how great the Viet Cong were." Yeah, um, we cast uh, Jane Fonda was on our short list yeah. to play the role of Princess Leia. Already, like in this day and age, downvoting like um, first man. <laughs> because of its American flag content. Yeah. Uh, also, moon landing. Such a drag. <laughs> Am I right? Tell me I'm wrong, people. In the context of first man, I can see it. But I mean, I, I think that there is something interesting in that, in that, like, this is, like, a formative American myth. In that it, it's, like, and it's kind of interesting that's an American myth because it's, it's at once a science fiction story, but it's a weirdly nostalgic science fiction story a long time ago in a galaxy yeah. far away. But it's also... But you could also argue it's a formative American myth because it's a lot of its beats echo a Western. Yeah. And Westerns are all about, like, the foundation, in inverted commas, of America. Yeah. So. Yeah, and America even today never positions itself as an empire. Yeah. You know, America is It never thinks of itself as the bad guy. America is the plucky rebel in its own head. Still, somehow, you know. I would maybe suggest as a counterpoint to that, and this is interesting because I think Marianne and Andrew may have some thoughts on this. The Star Trek franchise 
is the story of America as a benign empire in a way that it never could have been. In that the United Federation of Planets is this like benign, futuristic, like American idealized entity. In the 60s, it's a representation of like Kennedy's Cold War stuff with like the Russians or the Klingons. In the 90, in the 80s and 90s with Picard, it's this diplomatic multi sort of like head of like a multinational task force that like brings stability. In Voy in Deep Space Nine, they're the ones who like pick up after like genocide in Eastern Europe. In Voyager, it's like, oh my God, it is so hard being the wealthiest and richest and most powerful people just traveling through this crap hole that is the rest of the world. In Enterprise, they're like, oh my God, does the rest of the universe really hate us? Why would they hate us? Why would they do that to us? What did we do? We just want to go into space and so on. Well, I I disagree with that. First, okay. first, um, <laughs> first of all, um, I I'm not sure Enterprise happened. Um, <laughs> but the, the um, Andrew wants to be on that committee, but for not, Star Trek, um, Starfleet and Star Trek is not um, America. It is the League of Nations. It is the United Nations. It's a brighter kind of um, dream of of tomorrow. It's getting away from American kind of isolationism, and um, kind of, and yeah, it's it's it it doesn't it doesn't it doesn't say it doesn't um, it doesn't speak to me of 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 the American um, nation. It maybe speaks. Um, a little bit of the American values, which aren't um, um, American values. They're 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 values that um, they're that universal are, human yeah, values. Exactly. But America likes to claim ownership of things precisely and yeah. position itself as a leader on these values. And and yeah. it should be noted that like on the original Star Trek, Kirk has a set of protocols for greeting the ghost of Abraham Lincoln <laughs> when he appears in space. Yeah. Um, like, it's maybe the problem with Star Trek that it seems Americanized, like in terms of its vision, um, because they don't have a lot of non-American accents in there, which hmm. might have. Well, I mean, they always make it seem more universal. Yeah, who is who is John Luke Picard French. is the generic foreigner. He's a French man who speaks with an English accent, who owns a beanery, drinks Earl Grey tea, and also quotes Shakespeare. It's like, well, he's a foreigner. That's what we know yeah, about. He's him. European. Yeah, that's <laughs> close <laughs> enough for everybody. Yeah, and I mean, I think as well, like, I mean, worked directly for the United Nations, and the idea of them ever having like something even approaching a spaceship is hilarious. <laughs> But when it was the League of Nations, it was a sort of like pluckier, more flexible enterprise that was really was achieving quite a lot and was like, I mean, I certainly am incredibly jaded with international organizations at this point. But I, you, when you look at the history, you're like, oh, this was unprecedented. Like this idea of like a... A global community and then projecting that into like a universal community mm-hmm. like you know yeah, yeah. I, th- I think there's a book out at the moment about the, those um those people and the kind of um idealism and the 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 the, the um i think around like the 1928 paris accord and so and and these kind of people who are were much kind of um, maligned generally in history. Whereas, oh yeah, absolutely, yeah. yeah. Um, but um, where they, that that was kind of the um, foundations of of um, 
where 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 we would see ourselves going as a and even like projects like the European Union, while they weren't perfect, like felt like it was closer um to the 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 kind of uh, world that we wanted to aspire to yeah. to mm-hmm. to live in that we 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 were a community um well the eu's definitely peoples. had more direct effect that's mm. technically upon um mm-hmm. on member states because it actually makes binding laws whereas the un is just kind of like maybe don't do that or yeah. we'll yell at well, you well there are certain un institutions that do make binding laws but they are like hilariously difficult to enforce yeah. but like said so the international labor organization which was founded actually in conjunction with the league of nations and then absorbed into it when it became the united nations like that's the reason we have labor rights yeah. you know it was actually like these were incredibly effective mechanisms mm-hmm. and have since just decayed into like really sycophantic bureaucracy um which is very disappointing but you can see, like, and when you in something like Star Trek, you can still see the vision that was there. Yeah, you know, I, I love how this has turned from talking about Star Wars to talking about the politics of the prequels. Well, you could read. Really Isn't are... everyone in Star Trek a vegetarian? Yes. <laughs> uh, technically speaking, I mean, they replicate what they want. I oh. just remember one line very vividly from New, uh, Next Generation, whatever it's called. Where oh, they were just yes, like, it's... we no longer enslave animals for food or yes, something. That's and I was from just the... like, hi, I'm that's your friend. From, <laughs> that's from Lonely Among Us, the first season episode when they were very, very preachy. Um, <laughs> well, yeah. you can preach on that point because it needs to be said. But um, the thing is, though, about Star Wars and about Star Wars as an American myth is that it's, despite the fact that it's inherent, like it's science fiction, it's set in space. So in theory, it should be the future. And particularly because America, you know, in the 60s, it had been this big thing about going into space and being like the first and the farthest and going as far as you can. <laughs> Andrew's like, I'm waiting for this to come back to where I know this is coming back to. But the issue is that like, with Star Wars, you have like this trapping of science fiction, which is normally space and it's out there and it's great and it's limitless. But within that, you have this repurposing of older myths. Like Grace pointed out, the Western is a huge influence mm-hmm. on this. But even like the, the, like the only thing in Star Wars that makes it sci-fi and inverted commas is that it's set in space. And they have lasers. Yeah. That's it. Yeah, yeah. Like, that's in, it. In the Westerns, or, or at least as uh, as we've gotten used to Westerns, there's any kind of like more nuance in their portrayal of kind of heroes and villains. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that's arguably like, the But that's what Star Han Wars Solo. started to do in the new trilogy. Well, yeah. in like, and this is why Andrew sort of points film. to, I think, uh, Rogue yeah. One as your favourite. is because it's the most ambiguous of the bunch, you think. Yeah, and, and also like... I the... wish they'd allowed Rogue One to be more ambiguous than it is. It mm. felt like they, they started to water it down in the pro. I'm sorry, go on. No, <laughs> we'll, yeah, talk, we'll talk about no, that. that I, um, I, like, I think Rogue One is still one of my favourite <laughs> yeah. episodes. Um, of the podcast with the yeah. witty QB sort of exploration so like that. Yeah, but, like, but, but they, that's they... my favorite episode of the podcast <laughs> <laughs> we, we go deep on witty yeah. QB but, but, and like, Forrest Whitaker impressions I, I think <clears throat> I think that might be why kind of um, people people like um, Han Solo um, maybe make more make more sense in this universe mm-hmm. and perhaps perhaps um, um, Princess Leia uh, as as well, you know she's a PhD. The character, the character is a PhD. Apparently, she completed her PhD at the age of nineteen, according to George Lucas on the. Uh, Why do they have PhDs on other planets? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that they thought this through. I mean, like again, we're talking yeah. about robot slaves, Andrew. Did George Lucas finish high school? It's <laughs> 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 like actually, when she was nineteen, she finished her PhD. 
I just thought I would add that. Um, can I, mean, I ask a question that's to do with like canon and obviously how developed we, we it don't was. know this because I, uh, the, how developed it was at this point. Okay, I I laughed when we were watching this because while Obi Wan is fighting Darth Vader, he keeps calling him Darth as <laughs> though it's his first name. Now, is it possible at this point in the development of the universe that was just his name and they hadn't decided that it was like a, a title? title. Are, are you implying that Lucas like maybe was making some so, stuff up as he went along and like I don't know. maybe <laughs> he made some decisions <laughs> later that makes well, some I mean, of the stuff in previous films a bit uncomfortable? Star Wars has like, yeah, the romantic triangle between Luke, Leia and Han, which seems like, you know, if whatever happens in Empire... Spoilers for every movie, but it seems like Lucas maybe didn't have that figured out when he's like, "I want a romantic no. triangle." Look, here. if his name, if his first name is canonically Darth, Darth. I'm gonna die on that hill. Just it's <laughs> it. actually Darth Darth Vader. Um, so like it, you know, I, his parents had no hope for him whatsoever. <laughs> Most of the world building is very kind of reverse engineered as yeah. well, because like when and. You have like videos on YouTube where there's people is like, so a lot of people watch Star Wars um, episode four. This is his Mark Zuckerberg voice. (laughs) Yeah. um, And they wonder, why is the fight between Darth Vader and Obi-Wan Kenobi such weak sauce? Well, this is the real reason why. And then they explain in great detail. The how, mechanics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why, like, because we've what? seen, we've seen Darth Vader in Rogue One. Just tear just, through like, and entire people up. Yeah. And, and then it's like, and it's like. Well, the reason is because, like, he was fighting Alec Guinness and also the suit that they had wasn't that mobile. But we have to make it make sense in terms of oh, the universe. Oh, yeah, it needs to make sense in terms of the universe. So the explanation of Alec Guinness being very old is out. And, and then they just kind of keep going for, like, 15 yeah. But are they having a nice time? That's They're having a lovely and time. That's that the most matters? important thing. That is important. I mean, look, I not know. everyone... I don't know why I bridle, I guess. But I think it's like, you know, if you're like, oh, I'm a big t- Tolkien nerd he's written all that down you don't have to worry he's already thought of it Mm -hmm. like Star Wars fans didn't have that luxury they're doing their best with Darth Darth Vader (laughs) (laughs) I love the idea that he gets mail it's just like he checks the mail it's like uh, I'm looking for a a Darth D Vader um But it's equally no, you're, funny. You're absolutely right. Yeah. But, I, but I, I just find it so kind of like... But look, it's equally funny if in that scene he's like, well, mister, <laughs> that's also beautiful. I have to use both of my hands to hold the lightsaber, but I would be making inverted commas yeah. right now. now Darth. You, yeah. well, somehow, now you, you could interpret that as like a really damning critique of like, oh, it's you, this person that I used to like share such a friendship with and had such hope for and now I'm just going to refer to you as like generic oh it's you like not not refer to you in any personal sense whatsoever you are dead to me you, you know should that- make a video <laughs> Grace should be yeah, just like 15 minutes just going to deafness you know like during while they were filming that sequence um, obviously they weren't humming yet because like they didn't know that that's the sound that lightsabers made in post-production when they were filming the prequels they have to tell you and McGregor to stop humming um, and you can see, like, in The Last Jedi, uh, Laura Dern going pew, pew, pew. And in fact, like, they keep 
the sequence with her lips moving, even if they remove the sound of her saying pew as she's shooting the laser. But what, Serious? Yeah. Uh, watch it. When she comes through the smoke and like stuns uh, Poe Dameron, like you can see her lips moving and she's going pew, 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 um, which is great. I love Laura. She's a national treasure. Our national treasure. An international treasure. But, I'm out loud though. She's allowed to just go pew, pew, pew. Are you going to call her on it? I like that, I like that Andrew's like, no. You're going to give be- Laura Dern that notion. <laughs> Do it again, but do it properly. So, yeah, like, who am I to... To (laughs) To stand up to Laura Dern. I'm glad you've been put in your place, Andrew. But, I mean, this is the... what They didn't have that while they were doing this lightsaber fight sequence. But what they found was they had to, because the movie was made on a relatively low budget for the time and for the later Star Wars sequels, they found that, like, Alec Guinness and David Prowse were smacking the lightsabers so hard against one another that they were snapping and breaking. So they have to actually teach them. Like, one of the reasons why the fight looks as crap as it is is because they trained them to stop within, like, a couple of centimetres of the blade Uh. because otherwise it would break. So that's why there's no force in any of the impacts or any of the moves that they're pulling. But the force is there. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I mean, that's clearly it. They're clearly using the force. Well, they have a mad, like, foreshortening problem at one point where it's just the angle, but it really looks like Obi-Wan is just, like, very slowly (laughs) retracting his lightsaber. (laughs) It's just, it's a it's yeah. just the, the angle. <laughs> I was just like, oh no. I think they just speed it up. <laughs> <laughs> in post- well, I mean, this is worth noting. Double. Like, you could argue. Alec like- Guinness is great, by the way. I yeah. love him in uh, in things. He, he, in he, things. He, 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 <laughs> like, in when, things when, and stuff. When he was uh, doing this movie in like Tunisia or wherever, yeah. kind of writing home to his wife, it's like he's rather daft, really. But um, actually, um, George Lucas, um, he he also made American Graffiti. Yeah. So, like, like that was part of the reason that he kind of agreed to do it. Yeah. And I mean, there's all sorts of stories as well you hear about. Like, the you all know the story about the kid on the train with Alec Guinness, right? No. I don't know how to... I'm going to search this one, but because I hope I'm not defaming poor Alec Guinness. <laughs> but like, so there's... This Alec Guinness is on a train in, in England at some point in the 80s. And, like, during the train ride, he notices a couple of seats down, there's a kid who's really, really staring at him really intensely and really excited. And he's like, it's Obi-Wan Kenobi, it's Obi-Wan Kenobi. And he's making the noises to himself on the train. And, you know, as they're getting off, the mother's like, when the pull's into the stop where the kid's getting off, the mother goes over and says, look, Sir, Sir Alec, I'm, I'm sorry to bother you, but my son is a huge Star Wars fan. It would mean the world for you to say a couple of words to him. And, and Alec is like, uh, Sir Alec is like, uh, okay, <clears throat> tell me, young man, how many times have you watched Star Wars? It's like, I couldn't possibly count. It must have been hundreds. Uh, and it's like, will you sign an autograph for me? And Alec Guinness is like, I will sign an autograph for you on one condition. You must promise to never watch that movie again. <laughs> no! It's like the reverse Roger Moore that, story. That's yeah. ac- that sounds like an accurate Alec Guinness story. Um, I don't think he was... He's probably uh, like, young man, go and fill yourself, your head with culture. Go watch <laughs> Ealing Studios yeah, movies. And like, get some like Shakespeare into you, for the love of God. I was in Lawrence of Arabia. <laughs> I love him in t- like Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy. Yes, and on the BBC. these people, all that yeah. sort of stuff. I love, I love that when he, when he disappears, I love you get that quick shot of Vader like <laughs> yeah, patting down like, the, the rope with his, with his foot. It's like, yeah, yeah literally. Like, he was naked right here a moment ago. Then they do a cut and they uh, show like kind of like um, them firing at Luke. 
And you can <laughs> no, see, Vader's just like... You can see behind <laughs> the, so the stormtroopers, Vader for a while is still kicking the rope. <laughs> yeah. like, I don't understand. He doesn't how have the... great peripheral vision or hearing <laughs> in that helmet. Maybe they... something hit him in the shoulder and he was like, what the... <laughs> I think they needed a reason for him not like being immediately through that door. Yeah. Because <laughs> that's the only thing. And like based on what we know of the, the Jedi ergonomic design of that space station, once that door shut, it's going to take him a good... 20 minutes around several open pits before he can get back to the hangar. It's an obstacle course. you got to prove yourself let's worthy. Let's talk about health and safety on the Death Star. There is none. Um, it's, like there are doors There that are need- giant gaping holes in the floor with no like lights or railings or anything to indicate that they're there like you could just topple over in the middle of the landing bay as well which suggests that not only could like a single person like absentmindedly fall into a pit and fall you could hop off a ship and fall into a pit like no you could land like a ship on a tripod wrong and the entire thing would capsize into a giant this is the past so they're not all on their phones they're actually paying attention to this is in the, the old days right? but this but is like, what happens when you don't have an international labor organization to make sure there's railings you yeah. know I mean like you have like when, when like, to turn off the tractor beam like um, Obi-Wan Kenobi has to dangle off a pit and activate a lever like the lever is clearly there it's not like he's digging around in circuitry it's like no no this is how you turn it off naturally it's like you just hover over the pit there's probably yeah. a way to uh like make it rotate so you can access it from the tin yeah. bridge with no railings oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, else people were just like well we never thought anyone would have to turn the tractor beam off yeah. so, like obviously we put it over the other side like dangling over the precipice or the but bit like where, yeah, hasn't looking... it survived into the newer films where like the bridge that spoiler Han Solo falls off when his son kills him there's nothing on either side of that like he just topples over into the <laughs> also like, where the plans are stored in Rogue One it's just like why so many questions about that whole scene yeah. and I mean in this sequence there's one where like cause like it's whatever about like Return of the Jedi where like they're like okay Death Star is incomplete and under construction this is a fully functioning like flying through hyperspace space station but it and apparently it's... cannot angle itself right by the moon it needs yes. now in fairness you can make an argument about orbital gravity it's a big Death Star bigger than your average moon but I don't know if it can just be like let's just go against the planet's gravity but then how know? did it position itself right in front of Alderaan, Alderaan to blow yeah. it up Instead of having to oh, wait I mean, for like the opportunity, but Alderaan is a planet, not a moon, right? Alderaan is a planet. Okay, then it's why just... not just come at come at like the moon of Yavin from another direction? Yeah, like circle around it. I realize that we're Again. turning into one of those YouTube videos. Yeah, but, um, <laughs> it's it's also like fine. It's almost it's... like there were, there were <laughs> plot reasons why they didn't want them to blow it up. Right? Yeah, now. it's also I mean... like why can't. Like, surely it's easier to fire the torpedo into the narrow hole when you come at it, like, from straight down as opposed to, like, flying through a canyon. Yeah, miles and, away. And counting on the torpedo turning 90 degrees in oh, midair. And counting on Windows 95 hover. <laughs> by, the way, by the way, it's like, if if there's a planet in, in front of Javan, blow up that planet. <laughs> Andrew makes a very solid point. Although I think it takes a while. To, I think that would also just dis- destroy the, the moon. I mean, when yeah, we're talking about exactly. the mechanics of blowing up planets, the Death Star should also be gone, which is why they linger on the destruction of Alderaan for like a second. It's like, no more questions. But I mean, this is something that Andrew brought up, which I think is kind of interesting because it gets at like this idea of Star Wars, how Star Wars processes grief. Yeah. 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 
And like the next time you see Leia have a moment to herself in the like in the entire film, she's comforting Luke, who just lost this old man that he only he met really like got the day know. before. Well, I think he may have known him a little bit before, but only really got to know in the past yeah. day. He thought his name was Ben. Yeah. <laughs> and le- did Leia possibly actually know him in person before? Maybe. Yeah, actually, yeah. Leia. Well, she said, sounds... "You're our only hope." So you yeah. would hope that, like, it's not just a random stranger. My dad yeah. gave me this number. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's um. New but look, I mean, this is this Who is, is yeah. that that scene is an internet meme about like you know, like masculine fragility, where she's just like, "Okay, here's the blanket. I'm not in shock or anything." <laughs> <laughs> this is like like um when we were recording. Not one of these podcasts on the Scott on podcast, and and Luke, a contributor, mentioned that drill tweet. Everyone talking about mansplain, but no one talks about man's pain. He's <laughs> 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 thinking that's, of, and that's that like, picture of Luke being sort of comforted in the chair and stuff like that. <laughs> <laughs> really really does seem like Leia's like I just lost my entire family everybody I ever yeah. knew yeah. my adoptive dad I've been uh, tortured like yeah. it's implied like yeah. you know like there's a weird subjected thing, like, to the mind probe yeah. you see the mind probe comes in and you see there's like a syringe on the end which, and it looks <laughs> it like it zooms the, in on it, it and it, it, it has little uh, marks like like it uh, shows like you measurement. Like, how, how, how much like uh, centiliters are in it yeah. <laughs> but I like the fact that like the Death Star it's not can't just magic. I like the fact that Death Stars can't like give railings on banisters, but it's like no, no, the syringe must be properly marked on our torture. And then it's like, how did that go? Oh, not so well. It turns out. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I just tried to it good at this Vader. <laughs> like, but I, I, I trusted you. But it's it's great because it implies like Vader's like it will take a solid like twenty four hours of torturing, <laughs> and like so, and the next time you bump oh, into her, I told you she wouldn't say anything. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but no, no. The next time you see her, it's not like they've continued the 24 hours of torturing. It seems like Vader just said, feck it, I'm done. Yeah. It's like, just she's just lying there, as you pointed out, as Marianne pointed out, in this really uncomfortable position. Take away these cushions. <laughs> but also, then, in that sense, it makes sense why the stormtroopers are so useless, because clearly Darth Vader just gives up doing everything and is completely half-arsed. So when the stormtroopers come along and be like, damn, this door is locked, and they just keep running. That's so like, funny. How, really how to outwit a stormtrooper lock the door Andrew who has an experience as we talked on the podcast before about door to door sales was like really disappointed with the stormtroopers on yeah. Tatooine when they were like well I guess yeah. no one's home oh, next it's, door it's locked <laughs> yeah. we better go yeah. we certainly don't and want to invade anybody door opens <laughs> like a second later to say hello yeah. Hello. <laughs> to be fair, there's also there's also the moment on the like on the Death Star where like after uh, the team have gone and C3PO and R2D2 are left in the control room, the uh, the stormtroopers show up and, and C3PO is like, oh, you just missed them. They went downstairs mm-hmm. and they're like, the stormtroopers run off. Now they're canny enough to leave one single guard with C3PO. But C-3PO, who is not the brightest bulb in like the Star Wars universe, is like, oh, I need to take this R2 unit to get him repaired. Like, what did that stormtrooper think he was guarding? Well, Darren, they don't see the droids as people, therefore can't actually conceive of them as any real trash, you know? That's a fair point. They don't see them as having free will or like the capability to deceive. Yeah. Yeah. can't understand why R2-D2 is kind of malfunctioning, I guess, in this manner. Why he's behaving so strange. Why he's on like a mission. Yeah. Where like it's like you 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 belong to um to, to Luke um, now. 
Yeah, yeah. He's and, your master. Uh, yeah, and and Leia wasn't your 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 master. That was the captain. Yeah, yeah, that was the captain was, of the ship. Yeah. Um, um, so what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> don't and, want. I don't want to use the word uppity to describe the robot, but because it's not like R two D 2s parents were like um, killed by the Empire. <laughs> he has a little just cause Do for what he's doing. Is there an explanation, I guess, in the universe of the movie about how R2-D2 became radicalised? <laughs> wasn't, wasn't he... Like, he was Anakin's droid originally, if I remember correctly. He became a... Ta- yeah. Anakin, dis- Anakin created C-3PO, but he was also... R2-D2 was his droid in for a, a while. In a book, Yeah. Right? No, no, in, in the first Star Wars movie. He designs, like, in Phantom in Menace. In Phantom Menace, yeah. In Phantom really? Menace, yeah. yeah. because then there was everyone like, well, this is a plot hole. Like, how does Trepio not know that, like, Darth Vader is his former master kind of thing? And they're like, oh, they wiped his memory or something. Is it not implied, though, because, like, Obi-Wan is like, don't remember owning a droid, that, like, Leia somehow, like, programmed him to be like, oh, he's your new master, like, go to him. Yeah. Or something. Like, he's a really just... well-trained dog. Well, I also thought that or to, that was just R2-D2 being, like... like mal- having a malfunction? Well, no, being self-aware. And being like, hey, I can self-determine for myself to the extent that I can pick my own master. Yeah. Most people would think it would be me, so but R2, I'm not egocentric so like that. Is R2-D2 the only one who knows, like, the whole kind of, like, story, story of everything and is aware of where <laughs> things need to go? But doesn't tell anybody directly, or C-3PO just ignores him. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's very powerful in that way, that he's like, I don't need to explain myself to you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I just know what I'm doing. Trundling away yeah. into the distance. And all the, like, stuff about, kind of, like, the Empire, kind of, um, they, like, these, 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 this couldn't, this couldn't have been the Sand People. Because the the um, the blaster shots are are, are, are too, too accurate. accurate. <laughs> the Empire are the greatest um, marksmen, marksmen in the world, in the universe. <laughs> and uh, nobody which we ever hits each other ever. And I think it's only because it's like no, let them get away because we want to um, uh, follow them to their rebel base. And well, that's the explanation. This like, one, yeah. yeah. And it's like, kill them all, but don't kill that guy because he was going to shoot a proton torpedo <laughs> yeah. to destroy the Death Star. And the reason is because the Empire is going to lose. We will want to eventually lose. I'm Darth Vader. I'm this guy's dad. <laughs> this is how it works. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's quite clear that Vader doesn't know that he's Luke's dad at this point because it's quite possible that George Lucas doesn't realize that Darth Vader <laughs> is Luke's dad at this point. Yeah, like, and he doesn't sense it. He does say, like, oh, the Force is strong in this one. He definitely doesn't get it. No. Yeah. And it's implied that, like, earlier on when he's doing... And it's great. Like, this is one of those great George Lucas sort of, like, Star Wars shared universe moments where, like, Darth Vader walks up to the Millennium Falcon where Obi-Wan Kenobi is hiding. And I love that Obi-Wan Kenobi gets his own compartment. It's like... There was something <laughs> in it which blocked the Force. Yeah. Yeah. Han, Han, Chewie, and Luke are all in, like, a single compartment together. Whereas, like, Obi-Wan Kenobi's like, do you guys have any, like, magazines over there? Maybe pass them over just while we're doing this contraband thing? I mean, he's old. Well, he has a, <laughs> yeah. he has a candy. And important. Yeah. But, <laughs> he's, a, he's a nice... You will address uh, me as a Sir the Obi. Old Republic. Yeah. <laughs> he's Sir, yeah. Yeah. But, I mean... The thing is, though, when Vader goes up to the ship, he says, I haven't felt a feeling like this since 
and then clenches his fist, turns around and walks off stage. <laughs> that was great. Part of, part of me really wishes that like there was some stormtrooper who was like, is he just going to leave on that? Yeah, so it was like, that was, I mean, fantastic timing. I haven't felt this way like, since, but I'm not going to follow it up. Um, when you're in polite company and you're about to kind of say something and you're like, oh, I need to fart. Or it's like you started telling a story and you realize that like the ultimate end of the story will not actually make you look well, so you sort of just straight <laughs> off. And you're like, oh, I, I don't remember what happened. I haven't Some seen things the- are more powerful than the force. <laughs> I haven't felt this way since I thought I had the high ground. Um, <laughs> it is worth. Should we talk a little bit about Ham? Because Han's uh-huh. kind of interesting. And this is, like, this gets back to what Marianne was talking about with Luke, where Luke gets all sorts of righteous about Han. There's a moment where, like, Han is packing up and he's going to leave because he's done the job that they paid him to do because he's a hired gun and that's how he works. And Luke is like, so you're just going to take the money and leave? And you kind of want Han to go, like, me. Hey, <laughs> this, this is literally what I was contracted to do. In fact, I would argue I deserve a bonus for like my performance Can I on this just leave without being harassed. And yeah. I'm probably not going to be paid. Yes. <laughs> like realistically. It's like I wish you the best, but like really this I've got to get out of here before someone comes yeah. and murders don't me because you know there's We're a price on my head. Yeah, don't yeah. you understand like how professional workplace environments work, Luke? Well, no, he yeah. doesn't because he's been <laughs> on a farm his whole life. Yeah. He's and, 15. And he's and also because he's like he hasn't, a child. He hasn't talked to anybody who isn't a droid. He's yeah. like, why isn't this man calling me master? Um, <laughs> he's a, uh, like um, in like we we we. We kind of sp- spoke about Leia's uh, uh, grief for a whole like planet that's been destroyed. He's had a bad few days as well. None of these people should be up to much. <laughs> like they're chillaxing. <laughs> they should be making major like life decisions. and uncle got burned to death. Oh, Luke, yeah. He saw their corpses. Yeah, he seems then, pretty okay. He's like, and then and then when he's sitting down in the briefing on Yavin, he on the moon of Dad, Yavin, he's like. Uh, is he a sociopath? That's he's like totally chipper. But that's it, because like when he, when he's sitting down on the moon of Yavin, he's talking about how he used to torture small animals for pleasure. Yeah. I mean, Luke, Luke, I think there's a solid argument to be made that Luke is a sociopath. Yeah. Mm. Now, in fairness, the womp rats or whatever they were called, he used to shoot them out of they, like a fighter they, jet. They could have been a pest. A local out of pest. a fighter jet. He said they were two meters long. Big rats. Oh, they, they are quite large. I don't think he says for fun. Okay, maybe he doesn't say for fun. The internet the will correct machines? us. Are we going? Are we going? To I the... think he just said I used to bullseye womp rats and. But the description some... of bullseye. Can we find out what a womp rat is? I'd feel a lot more comfortable. Okay, let's let's go to the fax machine and, and see if there are any named womp rats in, in the... the Star Wars universe. <laughs> Googling womp rats right now. Okay, I'm gonna Google Star Wars transcript then while you guys Google Google uh... I mean they don't look so, very pleasant. They look enormous. Well yeah, they're two meters long. That's what he says. I mean they look like giant hyenas. Okay, now the, now the the shooting them kind of makes sense. You're not gonna like throw down some poison for something That's like a that. Second womp rat, look at this. They're two meters, it's like the yeah. Size of a velociraptor. Yeah. Dead. Found something. I we, used to bullseye we, womp rats. Yeah, that's exactly it. Yeah. So. <laughs> I used to bullseye 
Womp Rats in my T16 back home. They're not much bigger than two minutes. So, my, okay. So, he doesn't say he, he did it for he fun. He doesn't say he did it for yeah. fun. But and I, I found something. We Teeth QB. He's a diminutive <laughs> tapini. <laughs> a valuable member of Saul's band of partisans. His small size makes him ideal for infiltration missions in Jeddah's holy city. Only two years too late, Andrew. Thank <laughs> you very much. He's both an expert sharpshooter and a clever builder of sticky bombs he used to bring sticky. down imperial scoutwalkers. Salt tanks. There is now Rogue a one really leaned QB into the terrorism. action figure. Can we, can we, like... We talked a little bit about shared universes, but just very quickly, like this is like Andrew talked about how he's not a big, you know, how like it's harmless to have those YouTube videos where you talk about in great deal, a great deal of depth about how much you know about a particular character in a franchise. Sometimes I love, though, how much there is. One of the things I find interesting and occasionally frustrating about the way that we structure and like create these like wikipedia articles and like these uh this sort of like the way that we codified these characters and concepts uh we will include a copy of the uh of the we teeth qb bobblehead uh, <laughs> sorry <Dan. laughs> in the show notes. showing marianne photos of we but like the way that we codify so like we create like wikipedia wikipedia entries and stuff like that and we insist that like what we have seen on screen of a character is their defining attribute so like you mentioned we teeth qb there and like his Wikipedia article con- or Wikipedia article consists entirely of he makes sticky bombs. So like he because he used a sticky bomb in that one scene in which he appears. Now whenever fandom think of him, he's sitting at home throwing together sticky bombs. He custom builds. He yes. custom builds in his own bomb. spare time. It's really he's weird. He's one of the most destructive members <laughs> of Saw's band. Yeah, <laughs> but it. it like that's one of the really weird things about how fans create like fanon and and sort of and particularly like this mold of like Star Wars fanon and canon is that it exaggerates and flanderizes like these characters and concepts based on what you see on screen from a single line of dialogue. Like, so say, take Star Trek for example. One of one of my favorite examples from Star Trek is there's an episode where Spock's dad shows up and he's Sarek. a Sarek and he's a bit of a jerk the first time they meet him. He's also just a tinsy bit racist. And when he's talking about another alien... Nobody dele- has a dad who's racist. Nobody at all. It's very it's relatable. A, yeah. But, like, there's a moment where he's at a negotiation and he's talking to Kirk. And, like, these other delegates come up and they're all in his face. They're like, why won't you talk to us? Why won't you acknowledge the points that we're raising at this negotiation? And, and Sarek says, you do not talk. You argue simply to argue. And, like, as wow, soon as... Wow, it's the internet. <laughs> as, no, no, but as soon as Star Wars, Star Trek fans got a hold of that, it's like, this entire race... Their entire thing is that they argue all the time. It's not that, like, Sarek was being ironic or racist or dismissive or that you just caught him at an inopportune moment. It's yeah, like that's what he's saying in that moment to yeah. those specific people. Those specific yeah. people. But it's like when you do this world building, it's like what you see on screen of a character somehow becomes this, like, entire larger-than-life sort of fixture of the character. Or which if QB, because he used a bomb on screen, it must be really into bombs. Well, before his family were killed, he would get up every morning and bake cakes <laughs> for the village. And then he transferred those skills into yeah. making sticky Plastic bombs. Explosive. I mean, they, what are you going to put on the Wikipedia page? <laughs> yeah. Like, you have yeah. to have something. You have to, you have to fill a but paragraph. I, I think it's interesting because, like, clearly somebody decided that this was going to be the defining facet of their character <laughs> and it just sort of became the accepted norm yeah which is you know which is how all of fanon works yeah and, and there's I- always going to be people who interpret it differently that's why like the whole notion of, of things like 
Wikipedia or, you know, having a wiki for any franchise that just goes beyond what is established on screen, on screen um, is just kind of silly because everyone reads it their own way. Everyone pictures characters their own way. And maybe some interpretations are more common than others, but... Like, I, I just find it hilarious that someone would be like, right, that's what this guy's like. And suddenly, like, every single other person is like, yes, that's what he's like. We all agreed. We had a meeting. Yeah. And um, can we, like, do a campaign to get this, like, canonically into Wikipedia about Weetief Kubi that he used, used to, to bake cakes yeah. for his parents? And after, after, they, they, were were, after they were massacred, he, like... Oh my god! Transferred this skill to explosives. I, I want like it. Like, like, it'd be like a Breaking Bad thing, where it's like he's really good at cooking, <laughs> yeah. and it's like he discovers like at some point somebody's like, "What are you gonna do? Cook some explosives?" And you just see his eyes widen, and it's like that was the beginning. I have fulfilled a personal goal that I get to yeah. talk about Weetie Cubie on a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> the two fifty where we talk about nothing. We, but we, we never we... mentioned that he was Warwick Davis. Yes. We spoke about him for about 20 minutes the last time. And then, two years ago. <laughs> I didn't realize that he was Warwick Davis. Yeah. Um, I came here to bake cakes yeah. and make some explosives. And I'm all out of cakes. <laughs> I mean, let's get that as his quote on the top of Wikipedia. <laughs> Tell me you, wouldn't, you don't want him in that John Favreau Star Wars show as a baker. Just like yeah. setting up that art. Cakes that explode. Yeah. yeah. It's not a quote. It's... <laughs> How do you spell that, Andrew? <laughs> but... N or G. <laughs> but let, let's talk about... Sorry. But look, I think it's tough when you've decided that this franchise is your personality and it's going to be the hill you die on and you have like limited information to work with. So you're you know, working all the time to legitimize it. Like, I find this, like, similar with, like, comic book fandoms. Yeah. Which, like, tie themselves in knots because obviously you've got, like, loads of canon that does not gel at all. Yeah. And, like, various... Different writers, different artists. I- iconic, decades. multiple iconic interpretations of different characters all valid in their own ways. So you're tying yourself in knots trying to, like, keep the continuity together and... And for, to some people, that's very important. It's yeah. very important that this is a sort of coherent thing that can exist by itself. It's almost like a refusal to engage with it as a piece of fiction, yeah. which is then why you also get like the similar, like uh, very outraged kind of uh, hypersensitive reaction when people come along and criticize this thing as a yeah. piece of fiction. Yeah, you know, yeah. with flaws and plot holes and things that weren't even in done this, intentionally yeah. and all that kind of thing. Or even in the same age where you have like works that deconstructed or pick at it as well. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, I think no, that, absolutely, yeah. yeah. Like, but I think you also have a problem. A you also have a problem with people who write about things in a very what's the word draconian way, I guess, or a way that leaves no room for nuance. Because there's a lot of people out there who will call out, say, I don't know, certain character and something as being racist. So then. They write about it in a way that almost explicitly tells people, if you like this character, you're a racist kind of way. And then you can see why people would react to that. Yeah, and We're not saying that if you like Luke Skywalker, you are in favor of slavery. Yeah. Just to be clear on this podcast. But like, that feeds into a wider like problem with people... You're probably a racist. I think that feeds into a wider problem with people not being able to detach themselves from it. Like people who are arguing what they see to be a progressive point have issues with it as well. As well as people who are like, oh, how dare you criticize like my beloved fave. But I think that's yeah. also like the, a problem with the same side of the coin where yeah. people are coming at... if. I mean, if you're coming at a piece of fiction being like, this character's a racist, it's like, this character, 
it doesn't exist <laughs> mm-hmm. and has no intentions or motives beyond what its creators imbued them with. I mean, Lord help me, like the Steven Universe fandom is desperate for this. It's kind of... Oh, I've heard. Yeah, it's like, but it is, and it's the same problem where it's like you're not addressing this as a piece of fiction because yeah. you're imbuing the characters with intentions. Yeah. And then... This reminds me of like Tumblr discourse about oh, yeah. Loki in 2012 and Jesus Christ, like my brain will never... <laughs> my brain Marianne will never get the minutes of my life that I wasted reading this crap back. Oh my God, yeah. What was the Loki schism of 2012? There was, was a the whole, Avengers, right? Yeah, there was a whole discourse on the internet that if you're in any way a Loki fangirl, of which there were many, you, you endorsed... Yeah, yeah, you endorsed right? like him being an abusive homicidal like what's the he genocidal tried, yeah, person say, he, like, I feel like abuse, it, sure he's abusive Dan and, is going to find these people look he's a bad guy yeah. but people like bad guys yeah, but, but, like, in a way like that's that. completely divorced from yeah. any like why do people like anti-heroes yeah. who are like people who are characters yeah. that are explicitly set up as bad guys people see parts of humanity in them oh, yeah. like, but this this discourse in inverted commas like all of Tumblr discourse is pretty to be fair the vast majority of it's crap and that's what twitter has become like these days to be fair yeah but, i mean um, tumblr like everything for me like seeps from tumblr yeah. i guess and reddit but then like coalesces well, but like coalesces on twitter they're like the two mess. extremes yeah, yeah precisely you know? but like the tumblr discourse was so charged because it was really loads of people being like if you like loki you're a bad person and if you in any way tried to defend this character you're a bad person and it just turned into this horrific back and forth flame war that was just bollocks like total bollocks. and like like anti-loki blogs like yeah. popping <laughs> up to like harass like yeah. known loki fans no loki. Yeah. no seriously it yeah, was this insane happened. and like you'd get like anonymous messages like, it's trend. just like just so you know yeah. you've like reblogged a known loki fan <laughs> you're on the register no seriously it's just like the stfu sort of thing that was big on tumblr where they would have like stfu and, and yeah, yeah, yeah 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 like i mean i was darren like, is hip with the kids none of this stuff seems too far from the sort of stuff that kind of that that i see then like i know it, it's it's very different because like one of <laughs> one of these things is harming no one yeah. Yeah. Um, oh, and, and but it, it's it like almost seems to me like coming from the same like obsessive won't give up yeah. kind of place which 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 kind of uh, makes me feel kind of like uncomfortable about it but it, but and it like it shouldn't bother me that something matters so much to somebody yeah, yeah. but it, as it, long as it makes you it's happy it's just so easy for to it slip to into like, the other. for them to go into like a rage but they yeah. can't process the well, this, this is this is, the, this is the thing like this is the thing you I would know? say the response to the right. last jedi where it's like I I love that Luke Skywalker meant so much to you as a child. I think that's great. I think it's fantastic that you and your father have a memory of going to Star Wars and that you were able to internalize something about Luke that maybe allowed you to find some idealized masculinity inside yourself. And that's great. And I'm really happy for you. And it's really great that you have that source of strength and that it inspired you in a way that was positive and constructive. But at the same time, if you're looking at The Last Jedi... And it's not making you happy. And it doesn't fit with your idea of who this character is. I'm sorry about that. 
but maybe you should just not watch The Last Jedi or ignore The Last Jedi. But it's the sense that you're owed something by this franchise and there's an ownership, a sense of ownership of this franchise, which I think is actually like, because it's not, right, it's not a measure of like how deep someone is into a thing. Because I can think of like plenty of fandoms where I've written like reams of fan fiction, like very embedded in the communities, like a fictional maps blog. I mean, like, you know, it's kind of like... I am very deep into various franchises, but there's, I don't have that switch where if like, I don't know, like, I mean, even for example, with like the Hobbit movies, like they were terrible. Like the sense of emotional connection I feel to Tolkien's world is huge. But I was like, right, I'm just going to disregard those movies. Yeah. They now yeah. have no effect on my life, <laughs> yeah. you know? It's so similar with kind of like parts of Star Trek yeah. that I enjoy. But it's a really weird kind of and like environment you're not a big fan of, you're not a big fan of the Abrams movies or Discovery to pick two examples. And the, fu- the, f- the funny thing is, though, that like, but like, and, and, and the, the way I guess uh, Twitter is, is that if you don't like certain things, that means you're a certain kind of a person. As yeah. Well. But this, so the this re- is the thing that I was I getting at. Exactly. That like people get so obsessed with this idea of ideological purity and how if you say you're a fan of XY show, it's like you're presenting yourself as a certain type of person and you have to be seen to like certain shows in order to be considered a good person, shall we say. And it's the type of nonsense that annoys me because you see it coming from people who are generally well-respected, good writers, um, like critics of pop culture and film and everything else. But it's such a simplistic, debasing stupid tumblr point of view where it's like oh well you like that thing so i just can't talk to you like ever and i'm like why do you people allow yourselves to be manipulated in this way like if somebody thinks x show is racist but you like it it shouldn't be a thing where you're saying i'm not a racist like and they're like oh you actually are because you like this thing and it's like why can we not have a grown-up conversation about nuance and subjectivity and like I would why? love the word problematic just to be struck <laughs> yeah. like from the records because yeah. it's become such a catch-all for like well actually that's problematic and it's mm-hmm. like it's the same thing as interesting for me it's like don't tell me it's problematic tell me what the problems are yeah and if you can't then this isn't a critical discussion yeah I'm, yeah I'm fine I'm fine with problematic being a word as long as it isn't used as stick to beat things with yeah like I enjoy. But uh, people also presupposing something, and it's in inverted commas problematic. problematic. Like Gone Girl, for example, like, yeah. we both loved Gone Girl, and we'd be like, "This is a little problematic in some yeah, way." But people we, presupposing we, that yeah. any property can achieve routine, objective perfection in such a way that some part of it is not problematic is ridiculous. Like, there's nothing out there that's that going either. to be completely perfect. Why would you want ever. to create something that was? Yeah, but well, like, even like, like saying like Gone Girl, say? like oh, Gone Girl is problematic. Like, it's like no, Gone Girl uh, has like a weird relationship with misogyny. Yeah, right. You know, that's a more interesting conversation oh, yeah. to me yeah. than oh yeah, no, no. Like, and I feel like people use problematic to avoid that specificity. Yeah. Yeah. And that has yeah. like diluted the conversation. Yeah. To be clear, it. the podcast covering Gone Girl was not just myself and Andrew saying, we really like this, but it's problematic. Uh, next week we'll be covering. No, no, we, we did actually go into it in a bit I more. I would depth. never believe that of you guys. Um, but, but yeah, no, it's a tough one. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> and just in terms of Star Wars, we talk a little bit about like Han Solo and particularly like the performance of Harrison Ford because like he is arguably the beating heart of the film. Yeah. 
Um, and you it's know, the beating it's, something of the film. Well, I mean, this is the thing. You know that, that Carrie Fisher... <laughs> Whoa. Whoa, okay. Marianne just stepped forward to uh, talk about the uh, how he won't be Han Solo for long. That's <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I have a much... I'm actually much... I'm surprised that Andrew hasn't raised this yet, but I have a point we're going to get to in a moment. But tell us a little bit about... Uh... I'm just like... This is actually really inopportune, but I'm too warm and need to take my jumper off. <laughs> did you mention Han Solo or did it get hot in here? Yeah. after dark. Yeah. But look, yeah. I think, I mean, I don't like, I mean, I was like long past any sexual awakening by the time I actually like <laughs> watched. <Slower>. And deeper. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> by the time I watched the trilogy and like paid any real attention to it. But I mean... And actually, the reason the recent Solo movie did not work for me is just, like, your man's lack of charisma. I disagree. What about Donald Glover? 180 degrees on Whoa. that. Whoa! So you don't like Harrison Ford, but No, no, like- no, I, I like Harrison Ford, but I, I'm not attracted to him as Han Solo, but I really like Alden Ehrenreich. But oh, I think he, he leans into... I he was charming. He leans into a very boyish, sort of vulnerable take on Han, which appeals to me i thought he was i like my men broken dad (laughs) now i just apparently like a straightforward asshole like yeah (laughs) you know like leia is a man i'll I'll speak them and fix them and you and and i could have such fun together (laughs) ditch the the princess also a hot mag let's go so i'm actually gonna take my jumper off and just just so so basically i'll take them and fix them and send them out into the world an asshole and you can pick (laughs) take over but it, this is the like the thing about like and it's interesting you know, that Carrie Fisher and uh, Harrison Ford were having an affair. Yeah, and that's that oh, came so out recently. Sad. So sad. And apparently, like even and again, this is one of those God bless him. Apparently, <laughs> Mark Hamill had no idea. Yeah. He was shocked. It's like I love you get Mark the sense Hamill that he wasn't so acting as Luke. He just was Luke. I can't but now be a good time to point out that like if I find anyone attractive in this trilogy, it's Luke. <laughs> Oh, yeah. really? Leaning into what I was saying about people being boyish sex. and vulnerable. <laughs> anyway. I think he's shocked at people having sex. Yeah. That's like, that story. Well, that's <laughs> clearly my mental age is a bit But like, that. Carrie Fisher's writing about that oh, yeah. whole it's, thing is... It's heartbreaking. Devastating. He was married, wasn't he? At he that was point? married and he like, wouldn't speak to her when they weren't in bed yeah. and all this stuff. Yeah, but he like, wouldn't make eye contact with her. I mean, what are you going to do? Yeah. <laughs> he wouldn't make eye contact with her at certain points yeah, as well. Yeah. And she talks about how, like, you know, for for her, he was the most important thing in the world for the three weeks that they were, or three months they were doing this. And, oh, and, <laughs> but in her own words, for him, she was at best the 15th most important thing happening, which is really heartbreaking. Yeah. That's a very formative experience that I feel like everyone has in relation to a significant other at some point. Though. Yeah, or, or am just I just like, deeply jaded? Or just an encounter, like an encounter or like at yeah. that age or whatever not necessarily that you know you're having an affair with someone but they are nowhere near as invested in you yeah. as you are in them he was 14 like, years older than her she was what 19 there's also he was, that he was 33 like, no no um it it i suppose it did the, the likelihood more is that in a relationship one of the partners is going to be more invested than the other mm-hmm. it's generally not like um a um an equal um, distribution of interest. No. But there is yeah. such a kind of clear imbalance, imbalance there. Yeah. And yeah. That, that is sad. But it's always yeah. sad. And I think like 
Carrie Fisher obviously was just such a gift of a person in general. Oh, yes. Yes. But in particular, like how candid she was about those experiences. She was candid know? about everything. Yeah. Like, I mean, she's like one of like her, and again, it's I really miss her, but like the way that she would talk and do interviews, she was like of the three original Star Wars performers and leads. And I mean, like Mark Hamill is a gift of himself. He's done like voices, his, jo- his work as the Joker and like the anime Batman's fantastic. Harrison Ford's obviously done like Indiana Jones and stuff. But Carrie, if you could get one of them on the couch and talk to it would be Carrie Fisher. Yeah, yeah, like, I remember when I was, like, very, like, deep in a depressive phase, I saw a meme or something that was, like, Carrie Fisher would want you to take your meds. And I was just, like, she would. And it would be because she'd be, like, like, you you know, you should, like, keep fighting. It was just, yeah, and I was just, like, <laughs> take them. <laughs> For you, yeah, Carrie. I miss her. Yeah. <laughs> But in terms of Harrison Ford, this actually gives us a nice pivot point because one of the things is that we watched the high definition version of this, which is available. Oh, yeah, what the- <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Andrew. I was about to get to that. Um, but it, it includes a lot of materials. This is the version that was released in cinemas in 1997. Was it? Never yep. saw it. Um, this is the one where George Lucas digitally remastered a lot of material. In particular, like this is the sequence where famously Greedo shoots first. Uh, but the reason that Greedo shoots first is not because of, like, a creative decision. It's because in order to get the movie a PG-13 release on its re-release, because he'd done editing on it, he ha- he couldn't show Han murdering somebody in cold blood. Like, I believe that Lucas himself has been photographed wearing a Han shot first t-shirt. But he had to get that shot in there so that Han didn't murder in cold blood. This is the first I've heard of any of this, and it's fascinating. Oh, sorry. <laughs> but, <laughs> like, there was this huge schism in Star Wars fandom where it was like, how Han not shooting first is like, it de- defiles his character. What's, what's the line there between Greedo? It's like... Um, I've been waiting for this for a long time, Solo. Yeah, yeah. And then Solo says... <laughs> not his voice (laughs) (laughs) thank you Marianne he says (laughs) 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 thank you Andrew Uh, so that is exactly what he says right before he shoots Solo and Solo shoots him back Um, but um, thank you Andrew for stepping in there pronunciation was never my just don't want you to get dogpiled on Twitter Darren (laughs) 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 misquoting Greedo um, disrespecting his uh, rich cultural heritage and stuff like that. But bobbly shower cap head. <laughs> one of the things that you guys notice fairly quickly, and it happens once the movie gets to Mos Eisley, is I'm that like, the amount of. It, you found out that we we're talking about him on, online. It's like, sure, that's a good as you are, but good as you are, yeah, uh, we can't, we can't uh, publish, we can't print the translation, but I think the, the message comes across clear. But one of the things is that Lucas, Lucas is famous for retouching uh, his films. And the point, and this is one of the things we talked about in the 250 before, are movies ever finished anymore? And I think that the Star Wars movies are interesting as an early example of that, of Lucas tinkering with these movies because he can, because he has the freedom to... And the technology. <laughs> he was very excited about CGI. <laughs> really, in and a digital. Big, in a big way, you yeah. know. It looks like crap. 
It really well, does, but probably 90s. didn't at the time. Yeah, it was ninety-seven. You got to keep in mind for ninety-seven. So those shots of like, even in like shots, so, like we've seen Longmore Man. <laughs> yeah, but I feel and like looked... even in nineteen ninety-seven, you would have noticed they looked a bit. <laughs> I mean, like Jurassic Park came out in nineteen ninety-three, yeah. and the effects in that are still pretty good. Yeah, by well, that's standard. because they used a lot of physical models and stuff. Yeah, yeah but like, there's computer shots in that too that still look more mm. or less okay. Like unless you really stare at them, it's not immediately apparent. Well, I but guess this is so obvious yeah I guess it's because they're literally like layered on top of the shot yeah. and you yeah. can't get any sense of like weight or yeah, like integration or, or and they weren't there like, when why the would you leave yeah. why would you leave them in there when they look so terrible like where's your sense of pride well this really is really excited well this is the thing that, like <laughs> well, Lucas Lucas feels and this is why I think the <laughs> he first he can actively make something ugly but he's well, like no, a no, child the, like, <laughs> the first Star Wars the first Star Wars movie was the one that he made <laughs> with the most creative limitations in terms of budget and stuff like that so it's the one that he went back and he did the most on like Empire has a lot less CGI work on it and Jedi has a lot less work CGI work on it in fact that spends most of its budget replacing um, David Prowse with uh, Hayden Christensen because of course oh, it does oh good god um, but the thing I've is forgotten that forgotten about that the thing is that like with I'm sorry what, what replaces Return you know, of the, the Jedi end. replaces like, uh, the, the shot of David you know so so at the end of spoilers for Return of the Jedi but at the end of Return of the Jedi where Vader's dead and his force ghost visits Luke at the bonfire of the Ewoks where they're eating all the dead stormtroopers. Of course. Right. Um, at that sequence, it was originally David Prowse who played the ghost of Anakin because he was the actor who played Vader in the films. Right. <laughs> like, and, by the way, listeners can't tell, but Andrew's brow is furrowing slightly. It's like this Are is you causing... telling me that they put Hayden it's like, it's like this is, Return of yeah. the Jedi? It's like this That's is exactly causing physical saying. pain to Andrew just processing this. <laughs> Um, yes, they replaced David Prowse, the actor from the How 1980s. How are people not, a, a, like, are, they well, did. No, people are upset about this, yes, right? So internet. how have people not walked away from, like, Star Wars in 1997? Well, like, that's, people my, have been getting, like, pe- people who enjoyed the, like, four, five, and six seem to have just been getting, like, kicked <laughs> between the legs. Repeatedly, like, the with the prequels, the Maybe reissues. we can understand why they're so upset. Yeah. <laughs> you think they're secretly having a great time, though? Like, that you can well, get... all the arguing allows them to feel important. Yeah, and it makes yeah. it feel still current. Like, I mean, because this is the thing, like, where you have, like, Star Trek, you know, had, like, a dry period in the 70s, but during the 80s and 90s, it was constantly producing new material, Star Wars had this huge drought in theory. Yeah. Like, I mean, you could point it. They had like the tie-in novels. Yeah. They had the Ewok movies. No. You know, that's sort of, I know everyone loves the Ewok movies, but they had that. The Christmas but, special. No, the Christmas special happened yeah. immediately after yeah. this one. Um, I think you mean the Life Day special, <laughs> uh, the Holiday special. But like between Return of the Jedi and the reissues, there was nothing. There was just like dead air. Star Wars was just like a thing that existed on VHS. There it's were the kind three of movies. Funny that to think it. that they would be. Well, no, no, that's not a good analogy. But it's it's kind of funny to think that people would be looking for more. Because, I don't know, maybe this is just me, but you'd be like, if you get, say, three films of something that you really love, is would you actively be looking for more? Would you not just be like, this is a great story and I'm glad to have it? Like, there's something else I can like out there, surely. Well, this or were the... people sitting there, like, actively clamoring, like, we want more movies, we want more movies. Well, this like, is the argument you know? about Star Wars, and, like, you have, like, and again, this is one of the things where, like, and Grace sort of alluded to this, like, with people who are horrible. Um, but, like, there's a whole group of 
online cinephiles who would argue that Star Wars not only not only ruined science fiction, it also ruined pop culture and movies as a whole because it came along at the end of the new Hollywood era. It was after the point where Michael Cimino had done like Heaven's Gate and bankrupted studio basically. And it introduced this new model of making films that were like sequel focused, that were aimed at like 10 year old boys, that were aimed at packaging merchandising deals. I think that like Lucas took a $500,000 cut on his fee for the first Star Wars movie in return for complete ownership of the merchandising rights. Smart man. And you know that when Star Wars came out, they literally did not have enough action figures to sell at Christmas. They had to sell vouchers for Star Wars figures. Like you would buy your kid a box, it would have Han Solo on the front, he would open it, and inside would be a note saying, in March, you can pick up your Han Solo figure. (laughs) Marianne just rubbing our hands together. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) What what is she planning to do? Anyway, never I mind. I don't know. She likes Han Solo. She wants the action. Oh, figure. now I see. Okay. I didn't know where you were going <laughs> yeah. with that. First. That's a, okay. She has somehow traveled back in time yeah. to 1977. She's got a little figurine and she's going but to her phone. But also bunk. 20 years old. But anyway, <laughs> um, this is a very complicated scenario that's been painted here. But the argument is that like Star Wars... <laughs> Put my jumper back on. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the exact opposite of whatever it was Marianne felt when we were talking about Harrison Ford is how she feels now. What's the opposite of turned on? Um, but Fifty that, Shades of Grey. Yeah. I believe we discussed it. Fair point. Um, <laughs> but like the the argument is that like Star Wars created this idea of franchises in popular culture that would run larger than the individual film. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of like, that kind of sucks. Huh? Like, I, I, I mean, that no, doesn't doesn't. Well, I mean, this is the thing. They, like, like they still, they already had that, I suppose, with like um, James Bond and um, and stuff like that. But that was yeah. less. Yeah, James sort of, Bond was based on a like a series of novels, and it was also less like less tied to continuity because at that yeah. stage you'd already swapped out. Like at that point, you've gone Connery, uh, Layton, B. Moore. Those were actual kind of like movies that were, I suppose, meant to be kind of within the one universe because yeah. it's mm-hmm. following a character. It's yeah. like. Uh, um, was it like the the um, like Miss Marple or like Poirot <laughs> or any kind of like or, oh yeah well um, Michael Moorcock even in terms of science fiction yeah, but like yeah. The, any kind of um, just a character yeah. that you can kind of like follow and and, yeah. and, it, and it makes sense but the idea um, was that Star Wars did that to such a degree like it was the biggest movie that was released it was the biggest movie of all time at the American box office when it was released beating Jaws which was the previous record holder it is adjusted for inflation I believe the second highest grossing movie of all time at the American box office it sent quakes and ripples through popular culture the reason that Star Star Trek exists today is because Paramount looked at the success of Star Wars and were like, okay, we'll hire Shatner back and make a movie where we do 2001 A Space Odyssey with them. Like, that's the level of impact that it had. But the argument is that doing that with Star Wars created, and Grace sort of brings this up with the question of like, why aren't you satisfied with... Like, the question isn't why aren't you satisfied with the original trilogy? The question is why aren't you satisfied with the original film? Why isn't Star Wars or, you know, A New Hope or Star Wars, as it would have been called at the time, not enough of itself? I think that Star Wars was the first time that in, like, American cinema, it really felt essential to get more than one movie. Yeah, yeah and it's, it's not... I don't know if it's... Nece- uh, sorry. Um, I, I don't know if it's necessarily that people want these... Um, uh, there, there, there to be sequels. I, I think it's like... 
just kind of follow the money. This whole idea of it ruining cinema, it's like what, like it ruined like people's business notions. Like, but I mean, I have a serious problem with critics who take yeah. that point of view anyway, because that fundamentally implies that cinema is a certain highbrow thing and Star Wars of its nature can't be a part of that, which is that, extremely snobbish and exclusionary. Or that the joy yeah. that people feel watching Star Wars is, is somehow invalid. less, less yes. worthy than the joy and they also, feel watching Chinatown. Also completely ridiculous to think of Star Wars as being something that's exclusively a business interest, unlike, you know, every film ever made in Hollywood, which is a capitalistic, <laughs> risk-adverse society since its inception. So what you're saying is we are all Luke Skywalker complicit in this system of capitalist slavery as it exists in the universe you're very very stuck on this like slavery <laughs> point yeah. i say there's a strong argument to be made that those robots are not sentient <laughs> i mean you could go there you know <laughs> but no just to bring it back to what, what grace was saying though yeah i think there's like that's because this is a turning point for hollywood like we've, we've had discussions and it's been mentioned wired have mentioned that no none of us and that they don't mention us specifically but nobody alive at this moment in time will likely live to see the last Star Wars movie released. And that is... Jesus darn. <laughs> this is just depressing. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's the thing, though. That that's the... not his idea, in fairness. Well, all right. <laughs> like, I've read an article that... Like, yeah, that made that argument... As long as it came from the Atlantic, I guess <laughs> that's fine. <laughs> no, it came from Wired. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that makes it I'll better. Accept Wired is, uh, is not like a technology kind of journal magazine. <laughs> I love that Andrew's like, this is a very bleak humanist perspective. No, for... no, like, what's that based on? There, it's a culture section. Keep in mind that the intersection of people who read Wired and people who like Star Wars are probably quite right. large. Why so they, are we giving that any weight? Is it because it was in okay. Wired? No, but it's interesting to think I, about it as a I suggestion. Think we, we either will outlive Star Wars or we won't. Okay, but I think that it's a valid point. And I did think, you know that we're not going to? Is I did not no, say that. <laughs> Stop putting words in my mouth. I would like, like to hear the end of the point. I said <laughs> that I read an article that suggested it, and I found it interesting. And I think that there is a certain likelihood that... Disney are going to keep producing Star Wars movies. They're not going to stop with episode nine. They're not going to stop with Rian Johnson's trilogy. They're going to keep going. They're going to make more TV shows. They're going to make more video games. It's going to continue. Because Hollywood is a business. And as long as something keeps making money, it will keep doing it. I don't understand why people get so hung up on this. It's like all of these products that you're looking at as art, and that's a whole different conversation, are still business ventures to begin with. This is not a public funded artistic <laughs> endeavor these are private companies with a ton of money who want to make more money and as long as they see dollar signs where the star wars franchise is concerned or any other franchise or any other property for that matter they're going to keep making it and that's why this whole thing of like fandom as identity is so worrying because yeah. it's ultimately like so your identity is a consumer yeah. of product. a specific product you yeah. may as well get like super super religiously attached to like your iphone because it's the same way people do people do <laughs> well there you go yeah you have like every time there's an apple product launch it's like the entire world stops and pays attention i mean yeah. capitalism is really working i mean as it's intended <laughs> like, yeah. not for us yeah, but not like for in people. general when steve jobs was alive he, he, 
like a launching a product. It was like the Sermon on the Mount. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, and it's presented like, as such, and like he's he's almost been canonized, like kind of lifts like a, a kind of like a robe off of <laughs> like to reveal this product as if he had performed a miracle <laughs> and brought the Mac to yeah. you, for example. Yeah, like he was bringing down the tablet <laughs> yeah, from the mountain. Yeah. yeah. But it is, like, this absolutely fascinates me. And this is the interesting thing, because people talk about, like, comic books and Star Wars as modern mythology. And, in fact, I've done it on this podcast. I've described it as an American mythology. But it's a corporate-owned myth- mythology. Because... Now, there is where you get your intersection with America. Yeah. Corporate. Well, that's, Private that's a... capitalists. Yeah, and it, it's a re- it's a very much a repurposing of old material. And it, it's corporate-controlled, and it's copyright-owned. And, like, anything that came into existence after... Mickey Mouse. Mickey Mouse is the end of copyright because there's no way that Disney will ever allow Mickey Mouse to enter the public domain. Yep. Um, so that means that Star Wars will never actually enter the public domain the way that, say, Sherlock Holmes has. Um, it will just be owned by Disney forever. And I guess... Or whoever kind of, buys it from them. Yeah, in the future. But <laughs> Or maybe it won't keep being a thing. Silence. Um, okay, I'm waiting for. Like, None I, of us can conceive uh, of a future. I don't. I, sorry, that was just like we were waiting for the rest I, of the point. Um, I don't know why it's so difficult to to um, like. I can imagine um, uh, eventually they'll stop making The Simpsons. Oh yeah, they will. But The Simpsons are not Star Wars. No, but The Simpsons was once The Simpsons. <laughs> they are not anymore. a similar cultural impact. Yeah. You know, and sort of uh, like, can you imagine a world without it? And and and, and consider a, a lot. A lot of the Star Wars legacy isn't that great. <laughs> Historically like, speaking, for maybe oh, if, if it were possible to like you know have some sort of public consultation on this and be like we should remove Star Wars from like the world for the world's own good, then I think people probably would. But that's not something that we can do. I'm not stuff. suggesting that'll happen. I'm just suggesting that they'll stop making money from it. Well, maybe the and, league and of... that they'll just or, or, or that they'll just stop. Yeah. Like I don't, well, I don't know why find... it's such a foredrawn conclusion. Unless they find a way to sort of upgrade it and make it newly amenable, I think to new. Generations of people. Well, that's what that's, that's what the new films are doing, though. Like maybe... the new films are arguably just like Force Awakens is doing a new hope, but for a new generation, yeah. and it's doing it in a way that's more inclusive and welcoming. And again, we talked about this in the podcast. I like that the Force Awakens is a new hope, but for people like who watched the original Star Wars and didn't see a woman who could wield a lightsaber, who didn't see any black people until Anywhere. Empire Strikes Back, who really yeah. didn't see any woman, yeah, except. Leia. A hot nag <laughs> is her role. There are very few people in, in uh, Star. Star Wars New Hope. Yeah, it's yeah, not that many so, people. Like, like and I mean, that's not very like, many characters to kind of. But even none of the, back, the none of the background, like it's. I mean, one of the, the background are just old people. Oh, men, like, old British. English men. Yeah. No, but it's who men lived around the area. Like with the what you call it the empire when they're all sitting there having their conversation it's a table full of dudes yeah you know like one of the nice things about the force awakens is that there's women everywhere like there's even women working for the first order <laughs> like they're just everywhere like yeah. it, like organically inserted into that universe. because that's a thing that a lot of films actually forget even 
if they're doing a good job of having like you know strong female two or more strong female characters in the foreground you look in the background and like all the scientists are men because it just didn't occur to like some assistant casting director that oh like there could also be some women you know it's you know and like the call just goes out and it's always like man of certain age and that's just it so I mean that I think that was like a very and I really enjoyed the force awakens for a lot of reasons but that in particular yeah like it was like the texture of the world is actually yeah egalitarian and which even is, the way yeah. it introduces a certain emotional component like people have attachment in the force awakens which they do not seem to have in this as we've talked about with the notion of grief mm-hmm. even right down to the way like people repeatedly call finn in the force awakens a traitor implying that they feel aggrieved by the fact that he's turned his back on them which yeah. suggests that they feel an attachment to their yes troubling I'm, I'm, overlords but like I'm it's, more it's, imagining sorry the closest that the movie gets to that is Darth Vader patting the robes to make sure Obi-Wan yeah. isn't there yeah. <laughs> sorry. but there's a sense that like you know there's, there's a collective consciousness instead of people just going through emotions or I something. mean no one cares that Porkins and co are dead yeah you know there's just immediately no like silence. celebration people yeah, yeah. It's, and like yeah, it's a very shallow kind of victory uh, or no in, like like um movie uh, uh, movie in that sense yeah that there's all of this kind of like um uh death um, destruction death, and stuff like there's a moment in those eyesley where a guy's arm is cut off and you see a lot of blood for yeah. example there's countless people who fall to their deaths there's yeah. everybody who dies on the death star not to get into the clerks debate or whatever yeah hmm. and like the it'd be, it, it's strange that it's kind of like his uh, uh, vietnam movie like how does <laughs> lucas feel about violence well, this is kind of like to, to mention the Vietnam thing. It's kind of interesting, first of all, that a lot of the right in the US is sort of seized on the empire as like their sim- like their symbolism. Like, uh, and we're not talking about like the alt right. We're talking about like the National Review, which is like a Republican, like a you know, slightly right of center magazine would publish editorials where they'd be like, the empire, they kind of have the right idea, don't they? Um, and you're like, David French, please, please don't. Um, but like Lucas, yeah, Lucas would be he'd argue he's anti-violence and he'd argue that he's anti like anti-colonialism anti-imperialist like i mean whatever you can say about the prequels and you can say a lot about the prequels they are very clearly and at the time more proactively than a lot of pop culture around them anti-iraq war and anti-bush administration and anti-war on terror in a way that pop culture around it really didn't get until say 2003 2004 he was doing an attack of the clones you know um, so I think that Lucas does have those sorts of feelings, whether or not he has feelings about like violence as it's depicted in front of him. And I guess we're kind of wrapping up now, but just to, to bring it back to this idea, and we sort of talked about Star Wars as a corporate concern. One of the things I find interesting about... And I don't mind that, by the way. Yeah, what? That, 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 that they make it because it makes money. Yeah. But and, uh, and and that the, that's the way anything is. And uh, like it's not special in that regard. Well, this... Um, it, does, it, it, it doesn't trouble me about it. This is one of the interesting things for me, is that, like, I have always had a soft spot for George Lucas. I don't think he's a great writer. I don't think he's a great director. In fact, I would oh, argue... Actor. Uh, you like his cameo in Beverly Hills Cop 3? <laughs> Three. I think he does great work there. Um, I, I mean, I'd argue that even, like, A New Hope that we watched today, it was reportedly saved in the edit and by the music. Uh, in terms yeah. of like, and there's like, will we, will we talk about the music? The music was fantastic. Let's talk very quickly about the music. Uh, like watching kind of Luke um, kind of appear on the horizon 
Or yeah. even when he's staring out at the two suns setting. Yeah. There's that beautiful shot. Yeah, no, that, that's the scene I'm talking about. That encapsulates because... everything that Marianne was talking about. Like, when, when you're like, I'm giving up, Darren's giving Luke a hard time. It's that moment where he's standing out, staring at the two suns, and I'm like, okay, you get the, a pass. It's on the John, John Williams kind of, like, score. It's yeah. also shot quite well. Yeah. yeah. Like, yeah. the, the, and, and, and the... A high definition, aside from the the stuff that was digitally kind of like added, added um, the the high the, definition cut is 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 great. Like it does not look like a kind of a movie great movie in the seventies, and that works. Uh, I think better. I think for a sci-fi like this, yeah, it it needs to look very current of, almost yeah, yeah. in a way. Yeah. I mean, there is something very seventies about the fashion and the design of the Millennium Falcon. Just and all, all the mustaches and all the mustaches. We point out. By the way, just when we're talking about the um, when we're talking about like the stuff that was redone, that sequence where um, Han meets Jabba in the Millennium Falcon, <laughs> or in the in the bay with the Millennium Falcon, which was by the way the moment when all three other people in this room realized that something had gone horribly wrong. Yeah, I um, didn't, I didn't get what any of that scene was. I just I was I, so kind of struck by what the <laughs> Yeah, I was like, mm, there's some plot happening here. What am I looking at? Because <laughs> he is this green 90s CGI Jabba the Hutt. But the thing is that, like, that scene was originally shot with Jabba as, like, a Friar Tuck figure. He was just going to be a big, chubby man in, like, a fluffy pimp coat. And Han was going to, like, walk around him and have the conversation. And then when they were, like, editing it, they found it didn't work because he wasn't alien enough. So what Lucas did when he was revamping it in 97. Was he decided he'd, he'd CGI in over this chubby man in the pimp coat, this sort of CGI monstrosity of it. But like, it leads to a really interesting moment when you're watching it, where at a certain point, Han walks around behind Jabba and crosses over. I was just over. about to say, how did they do that? That yeah. where he steps on the tail? That they actually physically moved him, cut him, and lifted him up, and then dropped him no. down. So they like. Digitally, like, remove. How do they not so stop rubbish. and think, yeah. what are we doing with <laughs> yeah, our just lives? Yeah, like, when right you're now. doing that <laughs> bit, surely that. you're like, maybe just don't. But I, because I was like, where did this scene come from? Yeah. Like, yeah. He always <laughs> wanted to include it. It had always been on Lucas's list. Well, this answers no, my worry. Was, I was like, was this always here and I didn't notice this? Yeah. And then if it was always time. here, what was there before he was CGI? And. No, there was never anything there. Like, the only scene. Okay. That's why you got the Greedo scene. The Greedo scene was to establish that Han was running out on Jabba without being. The crazy thing about Lucas is that that like he's created something so kind of beloved without having a sense of taste. <laughs> it, it, I, like, I think I like for twenty years he wanted to put in that scene. I was like, finally, my artistic vision, vision is real. <laughs> but this this is. I, I, I would agree with Darren that I think Lucas gets a bad rap. Like, yeah. I think he, he has great yeah, ideas, clearly. <laughs> um, but he has great ideas, I think. But his his method of translating them into reality doesn't often work. But yeah. it's, it but feels like we have to... On screen and then this, it feels like we, we really days. should acknowledge that, like, he did make something that has made a huge impact on pop culture in a way that very few other things have. And have lasted forever as yeah, well. Yeah, and, and will continue to endure. I, like, he made, a, he made a great movie. I think if he had his druthers, it would have been much worse. Well, I mean, well, this is the thing, <laughs> like, you can argue, like, the, the irony is that, like, Empire Strikes Back, the one that Lucas didn't direct, is yeah. regarded as the best of the Star Wars films, as compared to the prequels, which he did direct and like his they're his unfiltered vision but this this is the thing where i 
I admire Lucas, despite the fact that... And I don't even think he's a particularly great director. Like, I think the edit on Star Wars is phenomenal. Um, and in fact, like, one of the things that they argue that it changed, it won an Oscar, it won seven Oscars, including one for editing. Uh, and the editing on Star Wars is interesting because they found when they shot the footage of actors and they shot the material... The way that they tried to edit it originally was they tried to edit it like a new Hollywood movie. They tried to edit it like Chinatown. Or they tried to edit it like, for example, Heaven's Gate or whatever. Or like um, that sort of easy rider. And the idea was that you would let the actors pace the scene. So you would basically edit in continuity with the scene. So however long it took the actors to deliver the lines and react to one another, you would preserve that by cutting within it. What the editors came and did was they decided that the performances were completely irrelevant to the movie that was being made, which probably explains why everybody but Harrison Ford seems like a cardboard cutout in some sense when you're watching the movie. Because they chopped, they chopped the lines as tight as they could in order to create rhythms that were distinct from the performances of the actors in question. And when you're watching it, you can notice that like actors seem to change position at certain points in shots because they're editing from inserts and other material in order to get the flow going. And it's remarkable because that saved the movie. When he showed the movie as he had originally edited it, everyone was like, this is a horrible slog full of characters saying lines that make no sense with, with none of the actors having any idea what they're doing. And the edit just tidied that up. But to get back to Lucas and sort of, I, I think maybe to bring some closure to this, is that like, we talked about Star Wars as a corporate and commercial concern and how it will always exist and always be released. <laughs> Andrew's, you can, Marianne is reacting to Andrew's face. How it may, how it may always exist, how it may continue to be released, how it may be this thing that exists as a corporate monument. In the midst of all of that, what I always loved about George Lucas was that he was this completely unrestrained creative it. He never compromised on these movies. In fact, he retained authorship of these movies after both uh, THX 1138 and American Graffiti were massively cut before they were released. He retained control of the final edit on this and he retained control of the film on this. And he did it in a way where the film as it exists exists solely as he intends it and he goes back and he adds in all the cgi which i am admittedly not a fan of but he adds it because he wants it to be there because it's his because he can because he has the technology because this is his vision and he's you guys basically no no but not not even that like i mean he's 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 very He's very generous and he's willing to accept fan fiction and to have people like write in his universe and other people make movies in his universe. Now, he did come out and say that he felt like it was slavery watching that his creation be taken away from him after he got paid four billion dollars for it. But that's a separate debate. But I don't think it is at all. I don't, I don't think it's like slavery at all, to be absolutely clear. Um, it's much less like slavery than anything Luke does in this film. But the point is that like Lucas is pure, uncompromised creative vision. And it's almost like we talked on... like you Cautionary guys, tale. But you guys were on the anniversary podcast and we were talking about The Room. Yeah. And we were talking about Tommy Wiseau. And we were talking about how Tommy Wiseau gave absolutely no consideration to anything but how he wanted to realise his vision. And I find a beautiful irony in the fact that Star Wars is this big, massive epoch-defining, cinema-changing, pop-culture-rocking phenomenon. An independent movie as well. But it, yeah, that's it exactly. Yeah. But it looks entirely like George Lucas wants it to look. That's 
incredible to me. This is as much an auteur movie. And like arguably the 1997 version that we watched with all the CGI and that sequence where Harrison Ford walks over the tail of a CGI monster that wasn't there when he shot the scene. That is arguably more of an auteur vision than the original cut released in cinemas. But this is like, this is like, yeah, you want to talk about Chinatown. People like John Rosenbaum want to talk about how it ruins cinema. I would argue this is pure cinema in its own way if you're looking at it from that perspective. If you're looking at cinema as a singular vision put on screen and shared with people who consume it, I would argue Star Wars, the original one by George Lucas, comes very, very close to fulfilling that and probably closer than most of the movies that people would laud as auteur cinema. I think auteur theory is (laughs) So that's my take on that. (laughs) This is one artistic vision that took hundreds of people to make. No, I know it is. But again, it, it's un, it's like it's all his. You can't really credit the version we're watching in 1997. It's hard to credit anything in that to George. Like, it's hard to imagine. I'm just saying, like, he didn't edit it. The, the soundtrack the was John Williams. wasn't his kind of. There are um, so many facets of a film that the director does not do that have such a fundamental impact on how people consume films and engage with films that's why i think auteur theory is nonsense okay <laughs> um, yeah but that's a rant for another day um is there anything else you want to talk about with star wars that we haven't talked about already anything that we haven't covered discussing the film is the entire star wars trilogy a result of those two guys who are like don't shoot that escape pod there's no life signs in there are they the real heroes of the entire nine movie saga what? <laughs> yeah, they don't have ammunition. It's like, whoa. But also, then, if waste. they had blown it up, then the rest, like, nothing would exist. Yeah, nothing else would have happened. They we, are just. We wouldn't be sitting here talking. About there's like, a, there's a waiting for. Yeah, there's a sort of not a. There's a Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead to be written about those two guys who are like, no, no, it's just an escape pod. It, it probably lost. Like it was just their decision as well. <laughs> yeah. Like it's like bureaucracy gone. <laughs> Bad. <laughs> <laughs> At least that's consistent yeah. throughout the Empire. That they're yeah. like, oh, this isn't working. Okay, we'll move on. And it's like, hey, did I tell you to stop shooting? Yeah. <laughs> like, did I tell rebel, you to look behind uh, a locked door? Yeah. Did I tell you to keep an eye on those groins? Like, Can I just say, having worked for the UN, it's just so similar to be like, you know what? No longer my problem. <laughs> I, I, don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't even have a face in this scenario. Like, who's Are we gonna... just shooting escape pods <laughs> yeah. now? Is that what I, this has come to? I don't want to be the one who has to explain when Darth Vader comes down here and asks why we fired 432 lasers when 430 would have done the job. Yeah. Do you want to stand up and explain that to him? Because I, I don't want to have to write another report. I'm like, I'm off in five minutes. Like, I'm done here. Yeah. Somebody else can shoot them. The only suggestion the Star Wars universe is like, point a laser first. Then when the laser is on the person, fire a laser yeah. beam into yeah. them. Um, I don't think like, there's target practice. No. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, the, 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 um, when Luke is wearing the Stormtrooper helmet, he does say his vision is horrible in this thing, which feels like a nice like nod. Um, maybe are the lasers unlimited? I feel like there's someone in the world who knows this, which is why I'm phrasing everything I, as I a question. I think the theory was that these are energy weapons, so so long as there's like power, a power source, then I mean, midichlorians, I, 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 kyber crystals. Yeah, I think well, kyber crystals that keep the kyber crystals. In. Kyber crystals are lightsabers, right? Right. Um, yeah. No. I mean, in Fallout, you have to have like 
ammunition for your laser gun otherwise it would break the game's mechanics so um, I do like the moment where um, Obi-Wan and Darth Vader are like waving their lightsabers at each other and a group of stormtroopers see this happening and it's such like a subtle moment of body language that I'm not sure it's actually there but like the lead stormtrooper does like a sort of a little shrug and like like they're sort of like I guess we better go over there and it's just Fantastic. Yeah. If, if I don't show up, this is going to show up in my but performance. But it's also review. just like they're like a few feet. It's <laughs> like, I guess we'll just like jog over here. Keep your eyes on the pit, oh, people. Keep your eyes on the pit. I'm so good. Yeah, and they all jog around the pit. But, but then like, because Obi-Wan's creating the distraction. And then like Luke gets halfway to the ship having distracted the guards and yells out, no, at the top of his voice. It's so good. I mean, look. All the other stuff that we've discussed aside, like capitalism and the like. What an enjoyable romp. Yeah, <laughs> you know? is. Oh, I mentioned this earlier and only... I think be- it's unintentionally funny, though. <laughs> yeah. I can't think of kind of... But it is something uh, that's very much designed to be enjoyed with yeah. other people. Yes, it yeah. is. Now, watching it with a group is great fun. Yeah. Um, hypothetical question. Is Star Wars a coming-of-age movie about Luke Skywalker losing his virginity metaphorically in like a space sense. Oh, Darren, do you know you ask questions that sound more like things you have opinions on? They're <laughs> like incredibly specific. <laughs> so so are you saying that this where is you ask this question and it's just silence and it's like, okay, I'm you know what, like, Darren, what are you saying? Are you basically <laughs> implying that this is some sort of like allegorical we're, telling of I'm, American pie in no, space? I'm waiting for the moment. 50 bingo where Darren suggests that one thing is a penis and another thing is a vagina <laughs> isn't the Death and Star and somehow t- finds a way to blame it on like American culture manifest destiny yeah. how would you be a penis going into another penis Andrew is like the. <laughs> I would love to watch your 250 movie Andrew um, I would really love to okay fine one, basically I just dreamed that one day when we get out of the spoiler zone somebody will say Darren what is the movie about for you? Oh, Darren. I'll be able to answer, but no, 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 no. You make this very clear, though, when you're like, Vietnam, slavery, sociopathy, and everyone's just like, damn, like, did we watch the same movie? I Yeah, I'm just like, I have never thought that hard about anything in my life. Yeah. So, um, no, but Darren, we will absolutely ask that question in future. But, <laughs> Sorry, what was the original but, question? But did the, Luke lose his yeah, virginity? The idea is that, like, I thought you were saying he was weirdly desensitized. I was amazed that Andrew didn't pick up on this because Andrew's normally well, the one who's, pick up on who's fine oh well you just didn't want to bring it I up and you would bring it up oh thank you very much um, <laughs> because but, it's a vagina right <laughs> well because there's like it's a vagina what <laughs> <laughs> is the well, allegorical vagina, vagina. Is a um, what do, do you want to explain this or will I <laughs> so imagine a giant death star if you will and imagine there's a port on that death star that's a lot like what a vagina is no there's there's just something sort of I wonder if there is something like interesting in that there's a really weird kind of mm-hmm. a 70s kind of male understanding of a woman's sexuality yeah, no, where it's, it's like you have to get very deep to start the chain reaction yeah, that will <laughs> cause the massive explosion and the oh. climax of the movie that we're just watching no it's no not no we're so, 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 yeah, no, like, talking about how it's American Pie in space that's it exactly because I mean he's got to like he's got to position it just right and he's got to launch at just the right moment he's got to not t- those other cooks just can't yeah get in yeah. There. But there's a moment where, like, and this is the moment that I thought that Andrew would latch onto, where they're approaching, like, the canyon run, and Big says, and this is a direct quote, by the way, Luke, 
at that speed, will you be able to pull out in time? <laughs> and I was, yeah, the, this was all elaborate setup to I get to that I never thought that would be too lowbrow <laughs> But But no, no, but it, it, it's like Luke going into space and shooting his load off, basically. And, you know, just like but becoming a man by doing that. Can you find the line where the lad who tries it before him, it was really weird language because they're doing a lot of, like, target negative, like, blah, blah, blah. But then it's like... I, the line, it's not quite, it's like, but it's like, did you put it in the thing? No, I didn't put it in the thing. And it's No, so, he says it, it didn't is, go in. It didn't so go it in, didn't yeah. Go yeah. Yeah, it's like, did it go in? It, it didn't did go in. I mean, there is a temptation to shout, like, that's what she said. Yeah. <laughs> like that. It's like, but part of me likes to imagine that Lucas, at least if he wasn't doing this intentionally, because I like, keep in mind, his last I film... I don't think was, he was doing that intentionally. No, his last film was American that Graffiti. Never but, no. <laughs> Howard <laughs> Duck was fairly raunchy. But, like, people were... <laughs> well, I mean, it was about a duck, and it, and it was, was very yes. Yeah. Duck with tits in it, having a bath. But, like, <laughs> but yeah, no, like, and it's like you got to keep in mind Lucas's last film, which was a massive success, was about teenage boys in America, like having this sort of coming of age experience. And part there of is that is, alien in the cantina who's like with that guy who. who oh, he has the gigantic comes, balls. He, he has the, like either balls or like labia. <laughs> Hanging from his chin. So, <laughs> it's like what? What was? Or the else ch- a really flat, collapsed arse. But one way, or <laughs> it looks veiny, a veiny collapsed arse. But yeah, it looks sore. There's no, like, like, there's no like. Lucas had to be aware of that moment because it, it's all building up to you've got to position it and you got to get like you've got to launch and gotta... you know people uh, people always talk about pop culture back in the day being more innocent and things that are so overtly one way sexualized now yeah but but I really feel like people back in the day just did not think of it <laughs> in that way yeah or so, if it was like a subconscious or if it's well, yeah. well I mean like that, that's that it, like what, what did I say no you said or if it's or a oh, like, but um, no, maybe it was a subconscious concern for but me. I mean, yes. Like I have a whole like Campbellian, you know, this is obviously Campbellian, great Milano myth, etc. I have a Fro- next year when we cover Empire Strikes Back. I have a beautiful Freudian reading of the relationship between Luke and Vader. Let's just say it's not a coincidence that Vader cuts off Luke's hand that holds his sword at the moment where Luke realizes that this strong handsome dark man with a deep voice is actually his dad at the same point that it's suggested that he's actually been trying to hook up with his sister there's a whole host of stuff going on there i don't think lucas was you know i don't think lucas was oblivious to it you're on your own here all right so that will be <laughs> next year when we talk about empire strikes back but in the meantime because next week is christmas love day yeah. Life day. Life day. <laughs> they, aren't they the same thing, Andrew? But um, if you guys could recommend something to people online, if you guys could like pick something that you wanted to share, a little joy in the world with people, what is your favorite? Maybe like because Christmas is next week, what is your favorite Christmas related thing? And Marianne has one. Oh no, it's nothing to do with Christmas. Go, well, go for it. Uh, and just it's three words. And just Google it on Twitter, and it is Zendaya's Michi. Yes. <laughs> And, and Andrew's also. I have Wait, no, how I'm, do you spell that? Zendaya, as in Zendaya. The, the, the artist. And Michi is uh, M E C H E. Okay. And LeBron James is Guanxi. 
Okay. And, and, and Grace has already got the phone out and is Googling. Um, I'm writing this down so I don't forget. Yeah, just oh, we're making notes yeah. for later. Oh, don't worry. We'll put it in the show notes. Um, see, with the search to bring it there. But, uh, no one ever joins me in song. It's very disappointing. Um, Grace, if you were to recommend something, if you were to share some joy with the world, what would it be? It can be anything. It can be a Twitter search. It can be a podcast. It can be a TV show, a movie. Um, well, given it is Christmas soon, there is a very sweet, I think it's a Hallmark movie. If, if it's not a Hallmark movie, it has all the hallmarks of being a Hallmark movie. Hey. <laughs> I made one, yes. Um, it's on Netflix. It's called Once Upon a Holiday. It's like Roman Holiday retold with a dash of the Princess Diaries thrown in. It's very sweet and endearing and full of holiday spirit. And I think if you're looking for something charming and romantic at Christmas, it might be a fun 90 minutes for you. And Andrew, do you have anything Christmas related you'd like to share? Although we'll be doing this no, again next I, week. I, um, I was thinking of some Star Wars things. Um, episode 7 of the Pod F Tomcast, um, they do a, um, a thing at the time I think was, <clears throat> uh, I think it was like a Google Read uh, was what it, it was called, where you would get a phone call. Somebody would leave a, a message and it would uh, like transcribe oh, yeah. um, that message, but it would do it really badly. Yeah. Um, and they, this is they, the inverse of the old BT thing where they would have text read by Tom Baker, and yeah. they had to pull that because people get kept getting Tom Baker to say naughty things. Yes. So the the, the um, episode seven, um, they uh, redo the cantina scene. Um, using using the Google kind of um, speak um, uh, uh, function and it's brilliant because they have people playing like Obi-Wan Kenobi and um, Han Solo and um, Luke Skywalker doing like these great impressions but just speaking complete nonsense but in the same cadence as the movie Um, and it's terrific and check out the rest of the Pod F Tomcast they don't make it anymore I think it stopped back in like 2013 or something, but um, it it is it is great. It's it's Paul F. Tompkins and it's the Pod F. Tompkins. Mm-hmm. Also, if you're into sci-fi and something that's kind of similar to Star Wars, um, I think I've recommended it before. Um, check out Mission to Zix. Um, uh, season one and season two are over, and they're doing their uh, Patreon now for season three. Because it's it's not like um, your average podcast, um, as as in there is a lot of production. <laughs> I, I I know Darren um, does a, 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 a tiny a, bit, a, a, yeah, um, production on this podcast. But yeah, it takes a long time, I guess, for the for them to get it together. I, li- I like that Andrew's like Darren. Make it sound like that. Make it sound proper. There will be a lightsaber battle. In this <laughs> Perfect. Well, the way we get the way we get more sound effects in the podcast is by cursing more. Yeah, <laughs> we, we've discovered this. Oh, I forgot it's a no cursing podcast. Sorry. No worries. <laughs> no, that's fine. It's grand. It just means more lightsaber sounds. Yeah. yeah. But uh, I would also recommend The Christmas Chronicles is out on Netflix at this point. Starring from director Chris Columbus, who did the Home Alone movies, starring Kurt Russell as Santa. Tell me, you're not on board with that? I'm on board. Uh, thanks Grace I really appreciate it um, but yeah so anyway in the meantime people looking for a bit more Grace a bit more Marianne a bit more Andrew in their lives where can they find you guys uh, I'm on Letterboxd at Pixie Grace I'm on Twitter at Tiny York also Twitter 
A Q U I N N I U Q A A Kuniuka. Uh, you can follow me at Darren underscore Mooney. I code. It's like uh, Andrew doesn't want you to find me. Yeah. <laughs> He'll find you. Try and find me. It's like Zendaya's Meacham. Um, Zendaya's Meachy. Excuse me. And LeBron James is Gwangi. How do you spell Gwangi? G-W-A-N-G-I. Okay. <laughs> you have it here, ladies and gentlemen. You heard it here first. Um, you can follow me at Darren underscore Mooney. I do some other stuff. I podcast on the Scanlon podcast with Grace occasionally around. This time, this week, I believe we will be hosting our annual top 10. So you can hear us uh, agree and disagree vehemently about the movies that we loved and loathed over the course of the year. Are we really doing the top 10 we hated this year? No, we're not. No, we're Good. not. We're keeping it positive. Strong. You know, the celebrating life. Positive vibes. Yeah, people. we're going to steer clear of the dark side on that one. Um, 